no good way to start a podcast. No, there's not. <laughs> <laughs> Were you thinking for a second there? Maybe I can come yeah. up with one on the spot. Yeah. But you couldn't. They couldn't. And that proves my and point. And I didn't. And I won't ever. I used you as an example. You did use me. Remember when we used to have that really weird intro? How was it really weird? It was just a It was saying, very like, this is going to be a serious like news program type of intro. Are you high on bath salts was, right now? Our podcast was nothing like the intro. And I've, I've, I'm glad we got rid of it. That's fair. I, I just didn't know. A lot of the podcasts I'd listened to had some type of intro, whether yeah. it was before the music or after. So you just kind of... We should make a little jingle. No, I I really don't like when podcasts have their musical intro is the lyrics are referencing the podcast. It's like a fun, ironic, chirpy jingle. Doesn't your favourite podcast do that? Do tell. Jake and Amir? No. They no have oh, well, they have submitted theme songs. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I, I don't know. That feels different in that... <laughs> no, it's the same. Is it the same? It's the same. It just feels different because... You like them. That's true. You will forgive (laughs) entertainers you enjoy a lot if you actually enjoy their work. But it feels different in that they have different types of theme song each time. It's not always the same. Yeah, but it is the same thing as what you said you didn't like. Yeah. So maybe you can only put up with it because it's... Look, sort of different each time. Give me Slash. a limited amnesty for my minor hypocrisies. Yeah. That's a fair that. request. It'll be a case-by-case case basis. From my love. Case-by-case. Case. From my paramour. From my beau. I dare you. From my wife-to-be. Yeah. I propose on the podcast. <laughs> God, how how not good is it when people propose in public? I would say there's a spectrum. There's on the on the far end where it does start to get kind of smaltzy and cringeworthy. Proposing at the top of the Eiffel Tower in front of everyone. And then on the other end where I kind of think, oh, that could be cool, is going to a more remote out of the way spot that has some kind of emotional significance for but you. That's not in public, that's just outside. No, but it could be we went to this park on our first date and now I'm taking you there five years later. There are people around and they're probably going to see and clap or whatever. But it's not this whole, we're in the middle of Times Square and no. this has become a huge spectacle. You gave complete di- completely different reasons to why I, why I don't like it. I don't care about that, like, if people think it's cringy or whatever. Because I think if they're the type of people that would enjoy an outdoor, like a public outdoor proposal, then that that then the person has obviously got it right. What what I think is kind of why the reason why I brought it up and like don't like it or whatever is because I feel like usually the type of person that thinks it's a good idea to like propose in the middle of dinner at like a fancy restaurant or like. In somewhere really public, on a is, hot air is usually in a situation where the other person is going to say no. It's like they haven't communicated at all about what type of proposals they 
You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's like they haven't talked about marriage and they don't know. I would know whether you would like something like that or not. And I think you would know too. I also think maybe there's a little part of me that doesn't really... I just think it's kind of weird when it's not a moment just for you two. When you no, I don't know if I believe what I just said. <laughs> On I second thought, scratch last, all of that. Yeah, I think, no, just that last sentence. I think it's more so just proposing to someone when you don't know whether the person's going to say yes or no. You're maybe not in the right situation to propose. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think. To a certain degree, you can never 100% know. But I know if I proposed to you, you'd say no. We'd just end the podcast there. (laughs) (laughs) Because you don't believe in marriage. That's true. Whereas, do you think if you all of a sudden changed your mind and then proposed to me without saying anything, do you think I would say yes? Yes. There you go. Exactly. But that's a foregone conclusion in that we already feel like we're going to spend the rest of our lives together. So for you, you like that extra layer of solidifying it in this very formal, ritualized way. Yeah, I don't ever think about wedding and marriages in the way that other people think about it. I don't need that. You want like a Wiccan ceremony (laughs) in the woods, surrounded by elves and fairies and sylphs. That sounds cool, actually. But no, I... Yeah, so... I don't know. <laughs> I just think if you haven't expressed to the person in one way or another that you want to spend the rest of your life with that person, maybe you, you're you not in the right place to be asking each other to marry That's true. You do often hear of, we'd been dating for six months and it was just this runaway love affair. And then I popped the question at our favorite restaurant and she said yes. In my mind, it's almost like, Eh, well, obviously. But you're contradicting yourself because if it's a runaway love affair, they've said they love each other and it's been this fast thing. So, an and all-consuming fast thing where a marriage proposal wouldn't be a surprise. But if it was six months of like regular people dating where they don't necessarily see each other all the time and they might not have even said I love you to each other, then you ask the person to marry you, that's a bit weird. I understand what you're saying, but my point is... My reaction is, first of all, you shouldn't probably be proposing marriage after six months. Like, that's a false sense of confidence you have that you're going to spend the rest of your life with this person or that you want to. And second of all, I think one of the reasons I don't like the public proposal is that it puts that implicit pressure on the other person Mm. to say yes because everyone in the restaurant pauses and looks around and then there's a long pregnant pause where it's will she say yes will she say no and i think to a certain degree that almost pressures you into wanting to play along with the imagined scene of i say yes and then we hug and they bring out a cake and it's this amazing moment i think more people will have said yes and then gone along with a whole wedding and marriage not really 100 percent wanting to than people have said yes in public and then said, actually, I just said yes because we're in public, but I don't want to marry you. I think it's harder for people to say yes and then, you know, say yes because they don't want them to look bad in public, but then to say no later on. I think it's easier for people to say yes and then just go along with it. You know what's an interesting subsection? And I'd be interested to hear people's stories about this. 
So write in to our email address. <laughs> we'll keep you completely anonymous. Yeah. I wonder how many people, when there's been that surprise proposal in a restaurant or in like a super public place, have said yes in the moment because they didn't want that. I don't know what the word... I almost wanted to say shame, but there's really no shame in it. Just that kind of subtle public disapproval of you ruining the big moment. So they say yes in the moment, and then when you get home with that person, you're like, actually... I just said I don't this. want to marry you. I just no, said No, but I'm this. saying, like, immediately when you get home. Yeah, I'm saying there's going to be less people who do that than there is who just go along with it. There are obviously people that do that. I'm just saying I think there's less oh, people. Okay. I thought you were saying, like, people who will break it off down the line. I'm talking as soon as you step out of the Uber... Yeah. You slap him and you say... Don't slap him. Why do you say that? We hate <laughs> it when women do that. How is that still a thing I in TV know. and movies? It's so horrible. I really hate it. And they do it and they just... It's normal. It's like, okay. And I don't understand why. Or throw the drink in the face. Ugh, that's a little bit less. I mean, if you need to do it in a situation where someone is being... But just when do you, know, you need to do it? You know what I mean. Do tell. But like elaborate. you find like your your partner has kept a secret from you, so you just like slap him. That's not like the appropriate response ever. Another thing I wanted to say, what well, you made me think of it when you were saying about like proposing after six months, you shouldn't be doing it or whatever. It made me, and I, I think I said this too briefly before. I almost wish that like marriage wasn't seen as this oh my god thing that you do only once and like if it doesn't work it's like oh my god this huge failure and then you know I I don't see why it can't just be <clears throat> another normal step in certain people's relationships I'm not articulating this very well I just wish it wasn't seen as this huge thing because then when people do decide to get, you know, you hear people, we've known each other two weeks and we got married and people are like shocked and outraged. And it's like, well, if you didn't hold it to this high thing, sure. you wouldn't be, you know, why can't it just be this thing that sometimes couples do? Because there's supposed to be a finality to it, which implies that you're not going to do it more than once, which implies that you're going to do it only after very careful consideration and only in the perfect circumstances. But that's what I mean. I don't... But because I we I don't really believe in marriage the way people believe in marriage, most people believe in marriage, I think that it... Sh I think it shouldn't be. Because it doesn't... I don't know. You're basically saying... But I think... I'm not articulating it very well. No, you are. But I think you, you don't need to cling on to the idea of marriage... I think what you're saying is, why can't you just commit to being with each other for the rest of your lives? Like, no, I'm not even talking about that. As if to say, are we going to be a couple, like in a long-term relationship? It's almost as if you need a ritual surrounding that, that isn't as archaic and formalized as a marriage ceremony. Yeah. But just saying, do you want to be with me forever? I want to be with you forever. We're now functioning under that mindset. Yes to all of that, but that's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is 
when a person after like two weeks or six months or whatever is like I'm getting married why can't it just be like all right they decided they decided to do it and it's like it doesn't matter that it's only two weeks in because and if it doesn't last it's no big deal like why can't they just maybe they just want to be married right now and it's okay if it doesn't last like I'm really struggling. I, really, I have it in my head. I okay. know what I mean. I think I vaguely grasp what you're trying to get at. It's like when people roll their eyes and they're like, well, they're obviously not going to last. It's like, well, so. But it's not so. Like, getting married is supposed to be a big thing. It's not supposed to be, like, giving someone a key to your apartment. Like, this revocable, potentially short-term thing. It's supposed to be you get married and then that like you're now married for the rest of your life to that person i know that but i'm saying i wish it wasn't that but then i wish it was more again to revisit my counterpoint from five (laughs) minutes ago then what you're talking about is not marriage which is why i think the institution of marriage is kind of silly yeah well there you go like but you it seems like you want to try and reclaim it and refashion it into like a more palatable form Instead of just saying, like, there's so much social cachet attached to the idea of marriage and having, like, a wedding ring that I think you're trying to push the square block into the round hole of saying, I still want all of that. I want that, like, amazing spectacle and, like, this big party where everyone gets to see me and the person I love. But I don't want any of this other stuff, this pressure to be, like, your marriage has to survive in this like perfect, like eternal way. And there's all this pressure for you to make it work. Sort of, but I'm not really thinking about it in terms of myself. I'm I'm just thinking about it in terms of like when people comment on other people doing it the way I've said is... Yeah, so I don't know. I feel like I can't talk about it anymore because I'm really struggling to articulate what I mean. In terms of myself, I think we've talked about this before, like there are aspects of like what deciding to get married means that I enjoy, but really what I would prefer probably is that society would change because those, a few of the aspects I want is really so society sees me us as a certain way like those things that come along with being like well no we're married we're husband and wife um but yeah i get that there's that whole if i say she's my girlfriend there's almost kind of like well so what like you could have been together for two weeks i hate it when we have to go do something like important or whatever like something to do with the government like filling in a government form or whatever. <laughs> a revolution a coup etc etc <laughs> and someone asks the question and, the, and i'm like yeah he's my boyfriend and i just i don't know there's something about it that does that i just feel like they're thinking like yeah like i like the term boyfriend and girlfriend right because i like the term boy and girl even though i'm in my 30s but I don't like the way other people see it. So, like I said, it's not me that wants to, like, I wish that that society would change its views on certain things. Anyway. I think that's why we sometimes use the word partner in those situations. Yeah, but I wish I didn't have to. Yeah. I've even considered saying my husband, like, when 
when it's a situation where it's like formal enough that you don't want to say boyfriend girlfriend but not so formal that you're lying about having a husband do you know what i mean but what scenario would you feel the need to actually kind of upgrade it to husband just for the hell of it like who are you um, trying well, to if you're impress? trying to sound a certain way like sometimes I'm I'm aware that I look younger and I sound younger to a lot of people and even seem younger to a lot of people. And so if you're trying to like so then when I if I then say boyfriend, I may come off as like a teenager or like a twenty one year old or something. And that's not always what you want. What you want is to to be treated like an adult with a real life and real situations. Another reason is sometimes the way, like, family sees you. I don't know, the way I've heard, like, certain family members talk about other people in the family who are married, and I feel like we don't necessarily get treated the way they get treated, but we are together, have been together, we live together, we have a life together, and so I sometimes wish that wasn't... I, I understand what you mean, but it's a weird kind of subtle intangible difference yeah. and i'm not sure i guess i don't really care about it it's such a minimal it's like when people celebrate people's wedding anniversaries but right. we don't get to have that because we're not actually married but we're exactly the same as the other yeah. people we just don't have that piece of paper it's like you know what it makes me think of when i see people like talking about things like well now that you're married it's like what has changed what has actually changed nothing yeah. has changed if you were waiting to like be married to like i don't know set certain rules then i think that's why things <laughs> fail like if we got married everything right. would be exactly the same I don't understand We why. wouldn't draw up a formal contract. Yeah. Sex three times a week. You take the garbage three, out. You load the dishwasher. a week. Sure. You give me pedicures and back massages and wash my hair and do everything. This basically. sounds like indentured servitude <laughs> I'm to me. I'm just messing. But, um, I'd, have to go to, I'd have to go before a magistrate to dissolve this contractual obligation. Mean. Talking of which... How do you feel about the idea of prenups? As you take a long, self-indulgent yawn to ponder it. Self-indulgent yawn. Because I feel like you really what milked it. You could have... I saw say. a moment... No, you didn't. ...when you could have cut it off no, midway. You, you can't cut off a yawn. You can if you really you want to. you yawn again, just saying the word yawn over and over again. You are yawning again. It's like You I'm, interrupted. It, you know when the person interrupts your yawn? It's like... When someone interrupts your sneeze, but you still feel the need to sneeze. So shut up while I yawn. <laughs> <laughs> Let me get it out. That dead air is going to be so fascinating what to the listeners. What were we talking about? Maybe they can just hear the faint, like, <laughs> ethereal, wispy sound of a yawn exhaling. What were we talking about? When you yawn, do you... Are you exhaling? Are you, like, breathing air out? You're sucking in. And then you... And then you're... Breathing Yawns out. are so strange. 
Like, what is the point of them? This will make the fourth yawn you've done. Well, if you keep saying yawn, I will yawn. So stop saying it. It's like a trigger word for you. You're like a rope. You're like, you know how Siri, you have to say the exact right thing to get her to do what you want. Yeah. For you, you've got like a short list. Don't say it. I thought you were going to say the word again, don't Oh, okay. Because when you've done it so many times, it starts to like not, it feels horrible. I'm going to say, next time you go out, I'm going to send you an email just in like big 128 point font, the word yawn, and see whether it sets you off. You're yawning again, woman. This is becoming a problem. It's like on the side of a medication box. If this yawn persists for more than five hours, seek medical help. You have a yawn priapism. We have to stop talking about now. I really don't want to yawn anymore. What were we saying before you were, we were like, she's yawning? We were the vaunted prenuptial Oh, the agreement. prenup. I don't think there's a problem. Because say like, okay, I think we're going to be together forever. Like we have a good, solid relationship. How dare you knock on wood after that? <laughs> that completely invalidates the nice sentiment that you just expressed. No, because it's tempting fate, isn't it? And that's why you touch wood, to not tempt fate. So, shut up, you don't know what touching wood means. I do. I taught you about the caressing of oak. (laughs) Just lick it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I keep losing my fucking way in life. Um, Help me, man, you're just staring at me. What was I saying? We're talking about prenuptial okay, agreements. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think we're going to be together forever, but I also am realistic in that while we think and hope that now, I know things could be different in 20 years. Anything sure. could happen. Anything could happen. Anything could happen. You jumped forward. Do, 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 do. No, that happens in the background. Oh, you're doing like the... I'm doing the back end. You're the beat. I'm the beat. You're I'll the give bitch. you the beat. <laughs> That's fair. Yes. Corporal punishment? No, you went too far. Okay, so. I, I guess. <laughs> so, what in that time, line. if we become like really famous authors or whatever, then I, you know. <laughs> I reserve the right to keep all of my money. Yeah, I wouldn't want you to like lose the rights to anything or lose your money or whatever. I also don't like the idea of doing that. Like, if I like to think that if we did, that we wouldn't go after each other's money. Yeah, I can't imagine. But th- see, that's the thing. Divorces are so often this acrimonious, hostile mm. affair. It's easy for us to sit across from each other right now and say, I could never imagine trying to drain your money like a vampire through litigation. But 25 years from now, like, say a hypothetical couple, because I don't want to put this hex on us, this premonition, this prophecy. But say this hypothetical couple, they're lovey-dovey for the first couple of years. 20 years down the road, there may have been a cheating incident. They may have, like, slowly, like, grown apart. There may be resentment for various reasons. And then when they finally do have that big blow-up and there's a divorce... They're completely different people and they have a completely different relation to each other than they did originally when they said, let's not sign a prenup. That's why I think 
prenups should just become normalized. Like Yeah, that's why I was saying I don't see there's a, de- a right. big deal about it. Because even though I know what, what we have, and obviously people know what they have now, anything could happen. And I think you should just sign something in case something happens, yeah. you know? Um, and I don't see the problem with that. But then what do you do if you're in a relationship and you want to sign a prenup and they don't? That's got to be a weird, yeah. tense situation. Yeah, that's weird. You have to come to some kind of arrangement. You just have to. But are you going to say it's a deal breaker? But here we go. This brings us back to what I was talking about. If you have proposed and they've said yes, and you're planning the wedding and the prenup comes up, and you've never talked about this before, and it turns out you're on the wrong page, you're not at the right point to be getting married. Because you... What happens in a relationship is you're supposed to have talked about all these things naturally at some point before you get to it. That's usually what happens. Obviously, if things are like a whirlwind and like it goes really fast and then the person's like, oh, my God, we should get married. Then when you're saying, oh, my God, we should get married, maybe stop and have a conversation just to be like, before we do it, I just want to make sure we're on the right page about like this, this, and this. Like, don't get mar- go to get married, not agree on a prenup, but do finally get married having some kind of like janky prenup. And then <laughs> realize that like one of you wants kids and the other one doesn't. Right. One of you is actually religious and the other one isn't. One of you has all these weird fucked up views and the other one doesn't. Like, but weren't you just earlier saying it's totally fine to get married after two weeks? We should stop judging people who do that. Yes. Because... You contain multitudes? Yes, I do. I think, on the one hand, it should just be this normal thing, but on the other... (laughs) (laughs) Look. Okay. I'm a mysterious woman, okay? You're a mercurial character. I can have these contradicting thoughts, okay? And it's totally fine, and I don't need to justify it. Sure. Suck an egg. I was trying to go the kid version, right? Okay. We have children, listeners, we don't. I hope we don't. I hope we don't. If you're listening right now and you're under 16, turn it off. And continue your education, young man or young lady. Make something of yourself, goddammit. Well, what would I have said if 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 this was like a... What what would be the right word if they have no... Like, they have no gender. They're non-binary. Is there anyone, uh, is there like a category of people who don't have any, like they don't subscribe to any specific gender? That's non-binary. Yeah, okay. So what would I have said then? If I, what would just have been? Just don't say lady or, what, what did you actually person. say? Maybe yeah, person. Yeah, just say person. Continue your education, young person. Yeah. That rolls off the tongue. Well, it like doesn't molasses. matter whether it rolls off the tongue or not. That's true. This fucking bitch. I'm not woke. You need to be educated before you can speak to people. My wokefulness meter is at Your wokefulness. I'm asleep. I'm drowsy. <laughs> you are. I'm dozing. You're drowsy. I'm snoring. I'm asleep. Meanwhile, I have like matchsticks. <laughs> Your clockwork orange woke. for a long time. I'm just kidding. You're forcibly woke. Yeah. It's the best kind, honestly. I guess. Um... Yeah. Okay, let's move on from this now. Because... <laughs> Have you gotten an all-out? Yeah, I just... 
Yeah. Breaking up is hard enough, even when you want to break up, without having to have the added shit of divorcing. That's true. I feel like, I know we were trying to move on, but I just had an interesting thought. Okay, go ahead. If it's not interesting now, I'm just going to move on. Who, <laughs> what are we judging it by? What barometer? Whether I like it or not. So you're my the, barometer. You're the sole judge, jury, and executioner of, of my what idea. you say, yeah. I don't like this. Well, you know where the door is. I've fallen into a one-woman <laughs> matriarchy. It's about time. <laughs> I deserve to be an autocrat of myself. Um, Yeah, do you tell people that you're getting... You didn't hear it. What did you say? I said, I own you, bitch. (laughs) We always say stuff like to each other. And then we always say, did you hear that? Because if you didn't hear it, then it feels real. Yeah, like we do it jokingly, but if the other person doesn't... If it's like under your breath, then it's too real. You need the other person (laughs) to acknowledge it and kind of like sign off on, yeah, I get that was a joke. Are we damaged? Are we damaged goods? Yeah. Are we going to be returned to sender? I don't want to go back to the Amazon warehouse. I wouldn't have chosen Amazon to be to be sent by. Can you choose who you're sent by? If you're a sentient package. Okay, we've gone off the... I'm not sure what the rules are. We've gone off the rails See, now. if I was a sentient package, I would want to be housed in an Amazon warehouse because I feel like they're so gigantic... That you at night when all the like packages come to life, yeah, then you could just like <laughs> dance through the aisles and meet up with all different type of. Would you be a package that's on Prime? Of course. What about Prime now? That's like this is like a that's caste primo. system. Yeah. Like in the society of the sentient packages, Prime now, where you know you if if someone chooses you, you can get delivered within two hours. That's royalty. that's like yeah, that's, that's royalty. royalty. Then there's Prime which is like you're rich, you're in the upper crust of society. Then there's like free Amazon delivery where it's like you're you're middle class, you know you're going to get there on like three to five days. What about from China, which is like a month? (laughs) Yeah, that's like the proletariat. That's like you might get caught at customs. The buyer might have to pay a fee to like haul your ass out of this mini jail. Okay, we've gone off the reservation. My point, what I was trying to say was, how do you... Or do you tell people that you're getting divorced? Because you tell people you're getting married, like you'll send like Facebook yeah. messages. But do you tell people you're getting divorced or do you just wait for them to see your status change on Facebook? No, usually I feel like you it trickles down, you know? Like you start by telling your family maybe and then you... Or you tell, like, a family member here and a family member there and it kind of trickles through. You tell a couple of friends and then by that point, someone has put something on Facebook probably and so everyone knows now. And then maybe you change your status. And then months down the line, you're like, I'm finally divorced or whatever, depending on whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. If I had been married in my last relationship, I would have celebrated my divorce. Okay. So... I like to think that I would have been cool enough to have, like, a divorce party. Announcement, a party. Like, it would have been that big a deal. A divorce shower? Yeah. Bring me gifts of... Give me gifts, bitch. What does a single woman need? Yeah. Birth like control? New clothes. <laughs> we yeah, went two but... different ways. <laughs> Birth control, new clothes, 
it cetera. Sex in the City box set. Pretty much. So you can little get little shoe box. Yeah. Cute little. Would you happen box. to have sat on the shelf I right do there? Have it. I thought it was gonna be bigger. I thought it was gonna be like this. Big. I don't hear that often. I'm got. I've got to tell you. <laughs> what is wrong with I you? I actually hear the exact. Are you opposite. a twelve-year-old boy? At heart. I don't know how I can sit right with that. <laughs> <laughs> You're taking advantage of me. <laughs> The authorities must be notified. I don't appreciate this. Someone's listening and now I'm on a list. <laughs> I don't want to be put on a list. Well. Unless it's a sex list. Do you really want to be on whatever no, that don't. entails? I don't want to be on a sex list. I was just kidding. I want to be on a food list. Like, you want to get deliveries from Blue Apron? I don't know what that is. Because I listen to a lot of podcasts, which means I've got a lot of promo codes that I could potentially... Oh, is that like where they send you the ingredients and you yeah. make them? Fuck that. I want the meal made for me. That's just takeout. I out. don't want to cook. <laughs> I want Blue Apron, but I want the I food already, already get made. get Blue Apron. It's called As The Delivery. <laughs> <laughs> no, because the idea of Blue Apron and these meals they delivery... only send you specific ingredients so you can't cook like unhealthy food. No, the, the idea is... They only send you the exact amount of food to make that exact yeah. meal. So instead, if you need so you like... So you have leftovers? Yeah. If you need like a type of seasoning, instead of buying like a huge jar of it, yeah. they'll just give you like a little sachet. This sounds like expensive bullshit to me. It is kind of like bougie food shopping. Yeah. Like purchasing food supplies by the meal. I mean, I kind of get it if you are like one of those kind of like rich people who lives alone. So you don't have much time. And you only want to cook for one person and you probably don't cook for yourself every day. So you don't want to waste stuff. They send you the recipe. They tell you what to do. Bing, bang, bong. It's done. There's also kind of the novelty factor of tomorrow I'm going to get a Blue Apron. It sounds like we're subtly promoting this company, but we're actually not. There's a bunch of them now. So just take your pick. But yeah, the idea of tomorrow... That made it sound like you were selling something. <laughs> Just take your pick. That's like my disclaimer for the FTC. Yeah. Hashtag ad. Hashtag shill. Hashtag buy this shit so I can get my fucking dividend. Give me the money. But yeah, that idea that tomorrow I'm going to get this specific meal's ingredients, I kind of like that. You know what I like more? The idea that someone will go and get you whatever you want. Kind of like Postmates in America. I don't think we have it. I mean, maybe we have it in London now, but I don't know. Where they will go to anywhere for you, like not just deliver food. They will go to like the chemist for you and like whatever. Um, I guess they, I mean, I was going to say they kind of had it, but but I think, again, that was still just for food, where they'd go to any food place for you. I remember something about that. And I was going to use it once, remember when we were in London, but... I like the idea of them being able to go to, like, several places for you. Basically do your errands for you. And then... I wouldn't like that because I feel like those type of apps, they always get their... The pool of people who are doing errands, they always find some way to pay them as little as possible. So if I get a guy to, like, go to a bunch of places across town for me, pick up some furniture from Ikea, get some meals, get something from whatever like you said the chemist pick up a prescription and then he comes and drops it all off to me and i pay him like seven pound i feel like i would be embarrassed to do that transaction no they think it doesn't work like that here they would be getting a minimum wage not necessarily that's like the whole thing with those 
um you know what i'm thinking of where they they deliver things on on their bicycles and there was a, a court case about it no i can't remember they deliver things on their bicycles yeah it's you, you know oh um it's called delivery oh yeah yeah the idea is that they're not employees <laughs> they're I can't, this, it's been a long time since I've re- read about this, but I think the idea was something along the lines of they're not actually employees, so they don't have to get paid minimum wage. They're independent contractors who are just like working in association with this company so that they make their own hours. They don't have some of the responsibilities of employees. And that way it's really on them to make whatever they're going to make. So they get like a percentage of whatever people buy. So say if someone get has a like they're spending fifty pound on stuff that you're delivering, do they then get a percentage of No, I think they just get paid their delivery fee. But the idea is they don't have to work an eight hour day. They can work oh. two hours here, two hours there, two hours and that way I guess the argue I don't really know how I feel about this one way or the other. But I think the argument from the other side is because you don't have to work a standard work day we shouldn't be obligated to give you like a standard work day's minimum wage. But I don't ever think that that's on the customer. That's not something the customer needs to be worrying yeah. about. That's like the other end that right. there's worrying about. But you that. are kind of supporting that business model by using that company. Okay. Well, I need that service. <laughs> so I need you to deliver Papa John's to me. Well, I guess Papa John's no. already has a delivery service. Yeah. What I mean, what would we get delivered by a company like that? I'd get them to go like all different places for me. <laughs> sure. Like one is from here, one is from there, one is from here. Okay. For instance, well, the reason why I was going to use delivery before, do you remember, is because I wanted KFC delivered because they don't deliver. Right. Um, and then say if I wanted something from the store, like they'd go to both. I don't know. Maybe I am, like, ruthless because I, I can't get <laughs> down with the whole tipping thing either. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter how much you say to me, the person doesn't get a minimum wage. Okay, uh, that's not my problem. Right. Because this whole, like... Tipping culture. This whole thing of, like, well, you shouldn't... I've seen people say you shouldn't... If you can't afford to tip, you shouldn't eat out. And it's like, no, that's wrong. That's actually wrong. It's not my problem that they're not getting minimum wage. Obviously, I wish they were getting minimum wage. And then I was going to say, well, if I could afford to tip, I would. But no, I wouldn't because I don't believe in it. But the thing is, it's not. It hasn't been instilled in you because we don't yeah. have a tipping culture here in England. My brother said that because he lives in America now. And he was like... It's because you don't. It's not natural for right. you living in a place that doesn't like tip or whatever. But if you like lived there, it, it becomes this thing that you do everywhere. Yeah, but it's, I don't know. It's one of those societal norms that if you grow up with it, even though you couldn't then justify it or explain it rationally as an adult, you just do it because it's something that you've uh-huh. done a million times, and it's like drilled into you yeah we just had to pause for a second because a very loud woman was delivering a very impassioned soliloquy (laughs) on her phone outside our window this is the peril 
of recording a podcast on a Saturday night, yep. folks. Lots of loud people. So yeah, what was I saying? What were you saying? We were talking about tipping. My point that I was going to make was, if even if we did somehow transplant tipping culture here, I don't think I could get down with it. Because I don't know how you could square in your mind this idea of, well, I only tip waiters. Like, why aren't you tipping everyone else in the service industry? Yeah. Why aren't you tipping everyone else who does a low-wage, difficult job? I mean, why aren't because, you tipping your garbage men? Because like, waiters and waitresses are the only ones who don't get minimum wage. Everyone else gets minimum wage. So even though they're getting a low wage, they're getting a minimum wage. But waiters and waitresses, some anyway, it's not the case that it's all of them anymore. But they don't even get a minimum. They get like something like $2 yeah. an hour. And then they have to live off their tips. But... <sighs> I have heard that that's increasingly being It is, but it's out. still like a thing. Like yeah. It's still like a thing. That I, I can see that then. That's kind of like a special category. But like you said, there is that supplementary question of why is that on the customer yeah. to rectify? Why is that not on the employer to do the right thing and yeah. pay this person a living wage? And obviously you can say like, well, if you were a waiter or a waitress, but it's like, okay. Well, I think you'll find the PC term is wait person. <laughs> if, it's like if you were wait staff and you blah, 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 it's like, okay, I understand what you're saying. But maybe it really just is because I'm not. But saying that, there are Americans who like don't yeah. are tippers. So famously, Mr. Pink, Steve Buscemi. I am Mr. Pink. I am quite actually Reservoir Dogs. Mrs. Pink. Mrs. Pink sounds like your. I'd be Miss Pink. Mrs. Pink sounds a bit your porn name. What is wrong with like that's you? Your How did we get there? Adult video pseudonym. <laughs> Yeah, I don't I I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the conclusion to your essay. I just I don't even really feel like tipping even when someone has been nice. That but sounds we don't really have bad. Tipping here. No, but we do uh, we do a little bit. Give me a scenario where it would be normal to tip. The hairdressers, the salon. I don't Yes, they do. That. Yeah, my mom tips when she goes. But is that can. because she knows the hairdressers and she's friendly with them? No, she... Because a lot of places now will, like, do you want a drink and, like, blah, blah, blah. She will then, like, tip a little bit. Right. Um, And also, like, my brother, he... Even before he moved to America, he would, like, tip the taxi driver. So I think right. so, in some yeah. cases people do tip. And it's obviously more common if you're, like, in London. There's tipping in London, but it's not, like, something that you that, that society says you should do. It's just certain places. They'll they'll add it onto the receipt, and you have to basically say yes or no. I hate that. I, hate I that really well. hate that. I hate it as well. I, because if you're not... If you're making it now kind of quasi-voluntary, where we're standing over you as we hand you the receipt and yeah. we see whether you choose to give us extra money or decline for whatever vicious reason you might have for not giving this extra mm. money, I hate that. I don't understand why you would want to put someone in that situation. You only make them less likely yeah. to want to do a nice thing towards you. 
Yeah. I feel like, for example, if you were, like, I could understand tipping a taxi driver. And I think I've probably even done that in the past without really thinking of it as tipping, just being like, keep the change. Yeah, I've done keep the change, but that's when it's like at max 20 pence. Like, I'm, the like, like I don't have like a, like... <laughs> I'd say if there's like a nine pound fare, right? I don't give ten pound as I keep the pound. Oh, that's I've too done much. That that's way too much. Several times. That makes perfect sense. Mine's to me. more like if it's four ninety and you give a five pound <laughs> note and you can't be bothered to wait for them to fish out ten pence. You say it doesn't matter. Not what I'm talking about. That's you're, what I'm talking about. Yeah, but you're talking about just being impatient for change. I'm talking about maybe you. The guy chatted with you and he was a nice guy and he made the ride more pleasant. If there is, like you said, just that like one pound, one pound fifty change, I will consciously think this was a nice experience, you know, keep the change. I have occasionally said keep the change at 50p (laughs) because of that very reason. But But that's the max. But I think that I've done it on the surface because of that, but also partly because I just don't want to wait. Like, I'm trying to be honest about, like, what actually really mattered okay. at that moment. Was it that I really wanted to give him 50p or was it that I didn't want to wait? Yeah, and when I was talking to my brother about it, he was like, well, you wouldn't eat at the same place twice if you didn't tip. And I'm like, whatever. Like, yeah. yes, I fucking would. I just... <laughs> what does that mean? Like, like, he's like, because they wouldn't want to, No, like, I understand what he's saying, but why are you saying, yes, I would? You like, have no control over the consequences. Yeah, that's actually what I said to him in response. It doesn't I was matter like, well, I would how just go fiery or defiant you are. I don't know. I feel really strongly about this. I always have. Right. And I don't know why. <laughs> it's weird that you feel strongly when it affects you 0%. Like, it's not an issue in your life at all. I know. But it just bugs me when, like, I always click on the threads on Reddit whenever tipping comes up because it gets so heated. Yeah. And I feel passionately about it, so I want to, like, see what people are saying. And I just, I don't know, it's just such an odd... That whole idea that, I know I just said it earlier, but the whole idea that some people are like, well, you shouldn't, you, you, you shouldn't eat out then. Also, another thing is... Not only do people get upset about, like, you not tipping, but they also get upset if you don't give the right tip. Yeah. So it's not just about tipping. It's about how it's not 10% anymore. It's 15, 20. And it's even more at, like, really fancy places. And it's like when, you know, such and such famous person, someone leaks their receipt and they're like, they only tipped 9%. But they spent, like, yeah. loads of money. It has to be 9.3424%. <laughs> it's just stupid. I think the thing is, we both chafe against any kind of unspoken, nebulous social obligations. Yeah. Because it's not formalized in terms of everyone knows that when you go to, say, a deli, they always put a 5% tip on the receipt. I feel like if it was across the board, like standardized we wouldn't have such a problem with it but because it is kind of it's up to you to give whatever percentage you think that they should have and then there's potentially some kind of weird disagreement you might have with a server if they think they deserved more that makes it more stressful and it makes it more prone to unnecessary errors and like 
weird missteps in decorum. Yeah, that's not why I tip it. I'm just not giving people extra money for no reason. I'm trying to give you like a more like socially palatable way out. And you keep just saying, (laughs) I don't want to give people money if I don't have to. But okay, you keep going down. Because if they are getting a minimum wage, for instance, and then people still expect a tip. It's like, what am I tipping them for? Well, they were being extra nice. No, they refilled your water or whatever. It's like, but that's their fucking job. They get paid for that. Why am I giving them extra money? Sure. I don't understand. And then what what annoys me is that people act as if it is a law when it's not. It's just society says you should tip in these certain places. And so when you don't, it's like frowned upon or whatever. But I'm not I'm not down to like fucking do what you're telling me to do. Like especially when it's not a law. And what also annoys me is I've got so much to say about this. Is that some people? It's like the it's like the um, what do we say when they rate games and they never go down past like a seven? This is such a weird analogy. It's like even when some it's like even when someone isn't like deemed. Wait, as, wait, wait. We need to explain what you just said. Okay. You asked me a question and then. <laughs> I started to say something and then you carried on talking. What did we call the numbers? It, I was calling them I something. didn't call it anything. This is a joke from a Penny Arcade comic. The idea being that for a long time, especially sites like IGN, whenever they would review a game, it would be, and it's supposed to be on a 10 point scale, zero to 10. It would only ever be like seven and above. Yeah. So a bad game would get a seven and a really good game would get a 10. And the idea being that one through six were the quote unquote forbidden numbers. Forbidden numbers, numbers, that's it. Yeah. And so I was seeing like when I, like I said, I always click on threads. I'm always seeing people talk about this. They're like, if my food, if my food was like not that good or whatever, or they didn't refill, I'll still give them like 10%. And then if they're really good, I give them 20. I'm like, why are you tipping them at all? Why are you tipping them at all if it was bad? Yeah. If they gave you the wrong food and they didn't refill your drinks and they were just snotty or whatever, why are you tipping them? Your own system isn't making sense to you since you're still giving them a tip. Then you're kind of reinforcing bad behavior and you're screwing over the next customer because then that server is not going to change and try and be more polite and friendly. They think, oh, well, I can just be a dick to these customers and still get my regular tip. I don't know. Maybe it is irrational. And maybe, like, part of where I hate it so much is because it's, like, society's telling you you should do something when you don't. You want to make the choice yourself, right? But I think we also, as people who know what it's like to have very, very tight, budgets and to Um, not have like very much or any disposable income at certain points in our lives mm. this whole idea of well waiters are getting paid very little they're struggling to make ends meet you should chip them in a few extra books so you can help them out well if you are going somewhere and you also don't have very much money that tip of like an extra six seven dollars could also be a big deal to you because you are also poor but no one's saying like, well, you know, only do it if you, you know, if you can, if it's yeah. not going to hurt your finances too much. There, there is this very one direction, like unilateral idea of like, you should help this party yeah. like without thinking about how it's going to affect the person doing it. Yeah. So what's, tr- I'm not really good, not 
Google percentages. So say 20% of £10 is... £2. £2. When you can only spend $10, then giving away an extra $2 makes no sense. That's actually a lot of money when you only got that. And some people are like, well, you shouldn't eat out then if you really can't afford it. Well, it's like, no, I can afford it. I have $10 spare and my meal is going to come to $9.80. Like, why should I have to always put these servers before myself is basically what you're saying um yeah i don't know it's just it's odd there is there's a weird kind of i sometimes hear or i've heard people they're so pleased that they're doing this way to a favor like they're they're bragging about it no there's almost this weird kind of condescension of like yeah it's weird i can't imagine like say for instance if we lived in america Thinking about, oh, we're going to eat out today. But when you think about how much money you have, you have to add on the tip. Right. Which is also like how they don't add tax onto anything. That's so weird. I can't imagine getting used to that. Because, yeah, it's odd. Getting to the counter and the guy's like, well, of course, there's the 15% state tax. Yeah. And then there's the federal tax. And then there's this like weird county tax. And you you realize that it's going to be an extra $14. And it's different everywhere. That's why they don't put the prices on the actual labels because it's every place has got to price it differently because it's different tax. That's, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Let's never go there. I'm joking. We want to live there, but it's just going to be weird. We just refuse to abide by your social <laughs> customs. Yeah. We're going to be in a restaurant one day in New York City, and the bill's going to come, and you're not going to have left a tip, and they're going to come back to the table and be like, sorry, miss, uh, you, didn't, you didn't add the tip onto the bill. And you're going to be like, I'm from England. <laughs> no. Can you not hear from my accent that I get a pass on this? <laughs> I wasn't born and raised in your wacky far left socialist tipping culture what are we gonna do when we finally get to go to new york and we check into our hotel and someone just comes up to us and grabs our bags and tries to take our bags to the room what are we gonna do when he's standing at the door waiting for a stop thief to me that's their job they get paid minimum wage that's their whole job taking bags to people's rooms i don't know why you would then tip what type of fancy five-star yeah, hotel you know. think we're going to be staying that where we'll there's be a staying boy. in like a hostel <laughs> rather than an actual hotel we're going to be staying in the second sub-basement of a crack den yeah. but it has four stars on airbnb <laughs> so let's just roll the dice airbnbs are weird i don't think i'd ever stay in one like when i was like thinking about new york i was like maybe we could find like a cheap airbnb especially because you stay a certain amount of days and then I was like, no, because I just get weirded out. Like, I I don't know. Hotels obviously have to be held to a higher standard in certain ways because obviously if, like, it's found that the hotel is put in secret cameras or whatever, then, you know, they could get <laughs> shut down and, like, get in trouble. But a person... Right. And in a way, why wouldn't a person want to put a camera up in case you're, like, breaking their shit or stealing their shit? So... This is a revealing insight into your psyche, Samantha. I just don't want to do it because it's creepy. Why wouldn't you put a camera up in the shower in case they're breaking the tile? <laughs> don't you want to see if they're defacing the shower head with a Sharpie? With their vagina? I'm not looking at your genitals. I'm trying to see if you're damaging the, the shower curtain, <laughs> Your Honour. But also, I'd be really worried of breaking stuff. Because I am clumsy 
And what if, like, someone doesn't know their friend is, like, out of town and they come in? It's all just really weird. I, I, will, I do feel basically the same way as you. But I also do kind of like the idea of instead of staying at a hotel that's going to be in like a specific touristy area you just kind of embed yourself into a cool neighborhood yeah, staying at like that, a real the idea apartment. of that is nice but i don't know maybe if the airbnb had like a gazillion reviews like right. a gazillion good reviews but it, and they'd been in airbnb for like a long time at this point but what are you, what are you worried about the cleanliness because no. hotel rooms uh, I didn't mention the cleanliness one time. No, I'm just asking because hotel rooms are infamously coated in all yeah. sorts of bodily fluids. That's the obvious upside of an Airbnb is that the hope is that it's cleaner. But I'm specifically worried about people putting up cameras. That's what I'm specifically worried about. That and then breaking stuff or being accused of stealing things. Yeah. Um, because it's your word against theirs. But there's not going to be, what? there's not going to be like a huge 4K TV in your average Airbnb. They're going there to would, have. There might be. You don't know that. Like, yeah, that's true. It's going to still be all their stuff except certain things. Uh, not necessarily. I watched like a vlog of someone staying at like a really fancy like house in LA and it was an Airbnb. And instead of them taking all this stuff away, they just put labels on cupboards and things saying, do not go in, do not go oh, in, wow. do not go in. So they don't often don't take all this stuff. They just put it away. So And we know how well people respond to labels saying, don't go in here when no one's looking. Yeah, and I'm not going to lie, I'm a snooper. I want to snoop, so I probably will. <laughs> I'm not going to touch your stuff, but I'm going to open the cupboard and see what's inside. This ties into your... This I'm not a really nice person in this podcast, I think. I don't tip and don't give a shit about waiters not getting their fucking rent money or whatever. <laughs> I What else have I said? Some stuff. I'm you sure. hate puppies. You said that at one point. You'd no. like to put them in a bag and throw them in a river. That's, don't, don't even say that. <laughs> in fact, edit it? that out because I don't even want it to be out there in the universe. Yes, you will edit You it may yourself. give someone an idea, some unhinged yeah. psychopath... Who never thought about drowning puppies in that manner. Oh. Shall we move on? Yeah. To, well, first of all, let's take a hard left into <laughs> why this episode of the podcast is so late. I got sick again. Yeah, you did. How, Which is weird because you never get sick. Yeah. I've had such a great immune system my whole life. And then in the last couple of months, yeah. the fates have determined that i need to pay a heavy price for that yeah the first one was not surprising because we'd sat in a hospital for six hours and so that was like not that surprising but it was surprising to me when you woke up and you weren't well like a couple of weeks ago because it's not like you this one was if that time previously that you can find detailed <laughs> on a previous podcast was... Wasn't it our last podcast? We'd just come yeah. from being sick. Oh, God. If that was a 9 or a 10 out of 10 in terms of how bad I felt, this was just a 2 yeah. out of 10. I just had a sore throat and I just generally felt kind of achy and not good. Yeah, it wasn't necessarily that you were terribly poorly, but because obviously doing the podcast involves you speaking, you you definitely had like a different voice. Yeah, for a I had weeks. a croaky. Yeah. I've been smoking two packs a day yeah. for 50 years voice for a little while there. 
So yeah, I had to deal with, and it was one of those weird being sick periods where it's always there in the background and it's always lingering, but it doesn't actually affect you that much. Yeah, It's just a constant annoyance and a constant kind of, oh yeah, my throat hurts when I swallow. And you wake up every day and you're not really any better than yeah. the day before. But you're not really it's any worse kind. either. Yeah. You're just kind of at this weird baseline of, I'm kind of sick, but not really, but I am, so I can't do this. Uh, so that somehow managed to persist for like two weeks. Yeah. Even though I was doing my best not to aggravate any of it. But it's finally passed, which means we can sit down and record this uh, exquisite audio product. Audio product. Yeah. You can find our audio product at... <laughs> Audioproducts.com. <laughs> edu. Because we're an accredited university. Sure. We teach you how to make and publish audio products. Yeah. This is how you use Audacity. <laughs> yeah, of course. I'm down. So now that I'm finally better, we're getting to sit down and record. And it feels like it's been ages since it we does did the last feel like episode. It's been ages. And we have some stories to tell. Do we? Dear oh, listeners, yeah. we always have stories to tell. We always have stories to tell. But we have a particularly. I don't know what the word is. Harrowing <laughs> one to tell this time. So. Yes. I. We don't leave the house very often, but I was feeling very kind of, I don't like to go out, but every now and then I'll get cabin fever where it's like, normally it would be fine that I haven't left the house in six weeks, but actually right now I need to go outside. I need to see the sky again before (laughs) I perish. I was having like a bad couple of days as well and I really couldn't shake it. And so I was like, let's go to the park, because there's a park right there. And and this isn't some tiny rinky-dink park that you walk around in 30 seconds. This is a big park. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like a couple of miles round, isn't it? I think it's at least a mile in All circumference. The way around, yeah. Yeah, and it has like a lake and stuff, and you can go on the boats and like. You, you know. keep saying that you really want me to go on yeah. these weird pedal boats. I've been going on the boats, those boats, since I was little. So we have to go on at some point. Anyway, so we if went, we capsize, are you going to leave me for dead? No, I'll jump, jump in after you. Do we have life jackets? Yeah, they give you life jackets. Do we that have? You actually wear. You don't just a fluorescent orange whistle. I could get one in case I need to signal for rescue yeah sure i mean the lake is small enough that people are going to see that you can i have inflatable armbands no you don't need them if you've got a life jacket but i want extra buoyancy (laughs) okay so we went to the park yesterday we're having a little walk around and there are many an animal at the park (laughs) there are squirrels all different types of birds. There are like ducks, geese, swans, all in the lake, etc. And obviously people bring their dogs there. So. I feel like we should point out that because we were going late in the day and it was also kind of an overcast day. Yeah. That's another reason. Yeah, it was like six o'clock. Yeah, it was like getting towards evening. But that's another reason why we weren't able to do the podcast, because we had like a little mini heat wave. Oh, yeah, we did. And we just cannot record cannot the podcast. When it's hot. Although, as it's a, like a 
a slight tangent, we do have air conditioning now. Oh, yeah, we do. I can't believe I've gone this long in my life, life. without the magic, without the life-affirming joy of having an air conditioning unit. But I will never go back, listeners. I, I can never like- go back to those savage pre-air conditioner days. Whenever anyone talks about it being like hot in England, you always get those people who are like, it's never hot. We get like 10 days of sun. I'm like, A, that's an actual lie. And B, our humidity is always at like 90. And when you live in a small flat, it just becomes a hot box. So you need that shit to survive. Um, Anyway, and plus we're people who like, as soon as it's over 10 degrees, we're like, it's hot. Yeah, we are. <laughs> Yeah, so going back to the park. So taking a nice little walk. There's no one around. There's no one around really except one guy sort of behind us with two tiny little dogs off leashes. And they were kind of sausage dogs. One of them was a sausage dog and the other one wasn't. It was just a little dog. But they were both kind of those little yappy dogs. Yeah, they were tiny dogs. They were like running around and we look over and at the base of a tree... Is like two squirrels running around the tr- base of the tree and two birds trying to like attack the squirrels. They were actually fighting <clears throat> over a piece of food. The squirrels yeah. had a, <clears throat> some kind of morsel in their hands. And these two, I think maybe they were crows, yeah. were pecking at them trying to get... And the squirrels were just constantly running around the base of this tree. I saw the dogs go to run over to the tree and my first thought was... Yay, the dogs are going to chase the birds away so the squirrels can get away. But as soon as the dog got there, the birds went and instead of the squirrels running up the tree, they continued to run around the tree and the dog just ate the squirrel. Like just did something to one of the squirrels and it immediately dropped dead. And I was just like, this all happened in like a second. The dogs got there, the birds went, the squirrel was attacked the other squirrel got away. All happened in like two seconds. And me and you were just like glued to this like... The man was calling for the dogs to like stop. But I feel like he wasn't... He was just <clears throat> pacing after them, haplessly calling at them. Yeah. Clearly had no control over them. Yeah. And if you don't have control over what your dogs run over to attack, you should not be walking them without a leash. Yeah. That's just basic common sense. Especially in a park where there's children, because yeah. there were children on the actual playground. I mean, keep in mind that these dogs could have fit in a teacup. Yeah. The principle still stands. But they can still eat your face. Like I mean, they can try. You know, you know. So anyway. How many sausage dogs <clears throat> or wiener dogs, if you're American, do you think I could fight off? If I was locked in a room, how many wiener dogs would it take to overcome me? Mm, 20. I think 20 is a good number. Yeah. Because... Because I feel like I could just kind of like sweep them away with my, with like a backhand. But also because they're sausage dogs, they can't jump up you really. I mean, they can try to jump up your legs and maybe cling on. Are we stipulating... But they've got nothing to jump off of onto you. That's my point. Are we stipulating that they have a hive mind-like connection where they can No, coordinate? they're just frenzied. Yeah. They're not I, like ants or whatever. They're then I gonna... can pretty much just soccer kick them away mm. endlessly. Yeah, but when they... That's why 20, any more than 20, and they just... They'd have got your... They've killed your feet already, you know? I don't know if they could bring me down, though. 
because even though it's going to hurt when they bite my ankles, I I think knowing that if I fall, they will start biting my face. Yeah. I don't think I would allow myself to You've be... just got to stop yourself from getting da- pulled down. Yeah. Because if it was bigger dogs, you'd get pulled down. Oh, of course, yeah. But because they're like sausage dogs. Anyway, <laughs> so... I just want to point this one thing out. We yeah. actually have slightly discrepant views of this event because... Yes, that's true. What I saw... I had a, I guess you could say, very quick reversal of emotion because I thought one thing happened and actually something much more terrible happened. When the dogs ran over, I saw one of the squirrels. You didn't know there was two squirrels. No, I thought there was only one squirrel. I was, of course, like you, glued to this scene, just like hoping in my head that this squirrel would escape. So I saw one of the squirrels make a run for it and climb up this thin tree that was next to the main tree. And so for that one second, I was thinking to myself, oh my God, there was this relief of yeah. the squirrel escaped. I'm not going to have to see a vicious yeah. squirrel assassination here. And you said to me, no, the squirrel got away. And I thought you were doing that thing where you like fib to kind of protect me from knowing what really had happened. And I was like, and then I thought you were doing that. So I was like, no, I know the squirrel is dead or whatever. But I didn't know you didn't actually didn't. know the squirrel was dead. So we were like... Yeah, we were yeah. on different pages. My eyes had just followed that squirrel that had run away. And so I had this elation and relief mm. of, oh, I didn't have to see this traumatic yeah. scene play out in front of me. And then I felt really bad because you could have been in the dark. I could have lived the rest I... of my life in that... <laughs> naivete but i that saw innocence. yeah but i saw the squirrel on the ground with the fluffy tail and the guy went over to it he finally caught up with the dogs and he was like nudging it with his foot um to see if it was alive or whatever and it was like completely dead like i don't know if it had like yeah i don't even want to speculate uh, yeah but it, it was had completely dead it shuffled off this mortal coil yeah for sure and we I don't had, know why he was nudging it with his foot. What was he I planning to do? I don't know if do? maybe he thought it was just like stunned and so he was trying to nudge it. Or maybe, yeah, I don't was know. Was he prepared to give it tiny squirrel yeah, CPR? I don't know. Did so, he have a tiny, tiny, tiny defibrillator uh, pack on him? Clear. Yeah. We both said at the same time. <laughs> so yeah, But I on. just felt so hot. Like I've actually felt traumatised. By this. Because you, we had gone to the park with the express notion of this is going to cheer you up. This is going <laughs> to help clear your mind. It's going to reset you. And this happened as soon as we got there, basically. You're going to drink in the beauty of nature. Yeah. Let the cute animals, the the scurrying yeah. critters. You know when you go to this park, you're going to see lots of squirrels. And that's part of it. And we like squirrels. We do. And so... I like squirrels more than I like dogs. Let that fucking sink in for a second, dog lovers. But I like squirrels more than I like dogs. So this, for me, was like, I don't want to say it was worse than what, you know, I don't want to make it all about me, but, like, it was horrible. I wish I had not have seen that. It was basically on par with Christ's (laughs) crucifixion. What is wrong with you? 2,000 years from now, they're going to revere the death of this squirrel in the okay, same way. It was really sad. It was. I didn't like it. I'm just glad. I don't, I actually don't know whether you saw the moment of murder, but I didn't actually see yes, the I dog sh- pick up the squirrel. No, in his I mouth. didn't see precisely how it did it. 
But I basically saw it flop onto the ground and then it not moving anymore. Right. Because I we were like locked into this like it was like a battle happening in a movie. The birds had been chased away and I was like, Yes, the squirrels are gonna get away now. But they didn't. And so I couldn't take my eyes away. I was like, please get away, please get away. Oh no, you're dead. <laughs> so it was just horrible. And I'd gone there trying to like feel better and I just wished I had not seen it. And then it was really hard not to think about it. And so we sat next to the water, you know, letting the water kind of like be all peaceful and stuff. And then some little some little ducklings came along. Yeah. Five little ducklings, little fluffy babies. A bunch of geese floated over to yeah. us and ducks. And amongst them was this little flotilla of really tiny but unbelievably cute ducklings so fluffy and small flotilla is such a cute word by the way sure but they were just like fluttering so fast in the water and they were coming towards us and it was just like ah this is what i needed this is what i needed some eye bleach and this was literally moments later 60 seconds after we just saw that horrific scene we basically sat down about to cry and then the ducklings came along I would just like to point out for the record, if the court stenographer would care to note this down, that I was not actually misty-eyed. <laughs> I had taken this manfully. I had a scowl. I had a stoic scowl on my face. And I said, c'est la vie. You just kept looking at me like, with that I, look of like... You keep doing this look and it's this expression doesn't translate I into know, audio. I know, I know, but like... Stop just doing the expression. Like, <laughs> Use your words. I can't woman. explain it. It was that look of like, I know, I yeah. know. I was worried about you. Yeah. Well, it fucking sucked. So, so yeah, we were. The good thing about this lake is because people go there so much to feed the ducks. Even though they say you shouldn't do that anymore, like that's actually become a rule. Like, if the park keepers or whatever will see you doing it, like they will. I mean, they'll tase you. They'll tase your kids just to be sure. You know, from the um, from the shop that's sometimes open in the day, like there's a little cafe. Right. They actually sell like nuts for the squirrels. Sure. Which I think is do cute. they sell so... bird feed for the ducks? No. Because I don't think many people are feeding yeah, the squirrels. That's true. The reason why they say you didn't shouldn't feed the ducks with like bread or whatever is because they get it expands inside them and they will just keep eating. Yeah. It's like fish. They will just keep eating it and they don't know that they're full. And if you throw a whole, like, 18-inch baguette in there, they'll just swallow it whole like a snake. Yeah. Just become like extended it. like a zeppelin. Ew, I don't like that. So anyway. Snakes are scared me. <laughs> um. So we saw, we sat there and we were watching these cute baby ducklings just go about their little... Aquatic business. Uh, that, oh, that was, that was the point I was trying to make. Because people go there to feed them, they are like completely unafraid of you. Yeah, they, they actually, will come up to yeah, you. Yeah, they, they sometimes kind of charge you a little bit as well. Like the they'll honking, flap their wings and like... The geese yeah. will come up and honk at you belligerently. Yeah, but they were pretty chill <laughs> that, that evening. <laughs> were they not? Hey, little duckling, do you want to come and eat bread and chill? Because <laughs> they were... Like, yeah, because I thought we walked up to the very edge once we saw the ducklings come in and I was, like, taking pictures and stuff or taking video. And 
I thought any second now the mama duckling is gonna the mama duck is gonna like charge us so we move away. But they were just chill, like they didn't come out. It's not at like you. a grizzly bear protecting its. No, cups. I know, but they do kind of come after you. That's true. When they're in like groups and stuff, like that little group we saw hanging out, like, and there was like other ducks with them. Yeah, there was like a bunch of geese that had take had annexed this portion yeah. of the surrounding area, and, and a like couple a of ducks mallard. had embedded themselves in the safety of this gang. Yeah. It was so cute. Hashtag geese gang life. Yeah, I mean, what are you gonna do, you know? Hashtag fog geese. <laughs> He's so white. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was like a it was had its weird moments, but I enjoyed being out, which is odd for me, I guess. And then On the way home, just as we were getting back from the park, we looked up on the top of our apartment building. Oh yeah. And right on the top of the roof, like perched on the edge of this section, there were two pigeons humping. Yeah, well, no, one was trying to hump the other. Yeah. And the, he, he got on and then he can't, He was shaken off like 10 seconds later. But let's just say, euphemistically, it was a romantic overture. Yeah. It was attempted copulation. Yeah. So I joked to you at that point, I quipped that we had seen in the space of 60 minutes, <laughs> the whole circle like a, of life. Yeah. Which is, you know... You can do worse yeah. for an outing. We I, saw death, we saw new life, and <laughs> we saw attempted procreation. Yep. We saw little babies. Yeah. They're so cute. I, I also love that your response to seeing something cute is to instantly whip out your phone yeah. and just take a hundred million Always. photos of it. Not even just something cute, like Yeah. Anything of anything. note. Yeah. You have the photographer's eye. I will sometimes want to take pictures of things that people don't think you should take pictures of. Not to, like, post them on Instagram, but just because that's my way. You have a scrapbook of photos of abandoned wellies. What is wrong with you? I thought you were going to say something else. I had, like, a response. <laughs> but then you said abandoned wellies. And it's it an art quiet. project entitled, Now the Shoe is on the Nun Foot. <laughs> It's very meta and existential. Although I do have, like, lots of pictures from when we were in London and here, but, like, of, like, weird discarded things that you find on, like, the pavement or whatever. Or in the grass. Yeah. <laughs> Your mind is always in the gutter. <laughs> yeah. It's never not there. I'm a ragamuffin. Yeah. I was raised by a, a gang of children thieves, like Oliver Twist. Sure. So, where to begin on this tale? <laughs> Are we moving on to the topic? Of obsession. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, basically, let's start from the beginning. My beginning. Last summer, I was, like, browsing on Reddit, as you do. And I, like, subscribed to, like, things like Unsolved Mysteries and r slash serial killers and things like that. And I do definitely have and always have had a kind of obsession with wanting to read about, like, you know, weird 
fucking Death horrific shit and mayhem. Yeah, and the mo like the more horrific it is, the more I want to read it. And so I just came across like a thread on something, and I clicked on it, and I started reading it. And straight away, I was like, this is insane. This is, like, really insane. I have to, like, give a shout-out to the guy who did it. He's now become kind of, like, almost, like, famous on there now. His username is Nerdfather. And he was, like, breaking down the case by case and giving you all the information. The story is about the East Area Rapist slash <laughs> Original Night Stalker slash... How many names does he have? The Golden State Killer. He's the P. Diddy of serial killers. He constantly much. reinvents himself and renames himself. Pretty much. And also the Visalia Ransacker. Of course. He has like four names, basically. Anyway, so you, you may now know that he has been caught after all these years. But I'm going to like go back to when I first... Take us way back, baby. Yeah. So it was like last summer. I remember being summer because I remember... Purposely, we were purposely trying to be awake in the night rather than in the day because of how hot it was. And I remember several times I would be in here reading about it and you would be like in the bath and we had the window open and I would get creeped out. Like I would be reading it and then imagine someone coming at the window. And I, a few times I had to stop myself from reading So I basically read along to this, like, breakdown of all the cases um, for a while. Um, Should I say, like... I think you should give a brief synopsis about this guy's dastardly career. So basically, the EAR is what we'll call him, the the East Area Rapist. Won't most people know him as the Golden State Killer? No, because that's only been his name the past year or two. But it's like the most publicized name, I feel. No. Whenever I've seen articles in recent weeks In and the months, past couple of weeks, yeah. But apart from the past couple of weeks, okay. he wasn't known as that. Just know, listener, that this person is one in the same. Yeah, name. I'm going to call him the EAR. Even though he has a name now, Joseph James D'Angelo, JJD, I'm just going to call him the EAR. So basically, he started committing like home invasions like burglaries in the 70s and they escalated to rapes and then eventually escalated to murder he committed over 50 rapes and what we first thought was 12 murders because he has also now been called the Visalia ransacker which was a um like a cat burglar from before the EAR began in a different part of California. They a lot of people up until now have thought that they were two separate criminals. It was kind of split down the middle. Half the people thought that the EAR was the VR, the Visalia Ransacker, and half the people said that they were different people. Turns out now, with the guy being caught just a few weeks ago, that he's both. So We'll go back to the very beginning. <laughs> Early 70s, this guy burgled people's houses. He didn't take, like, big things, like, all the money and all the appliances. He took things like 
bits of jewellery and like stamps and like weird things like cufflinks and small bits of things like tokens almost. And he committed like over a hundred burglaries and was never caught. And then his crime has escalated a little bit while he was the Vesalia ransacker. Like at a few places it was clear that there were like there was sexual stuff happening. Like he it was clear he had masturbated at the scene. And then on one occasion he tried to kidnap a young girl, but he failed. And someone went after him and he shot them. So he committed his first murder. Then he stops being the VR and he moves to a different part of California and becomes the EAR, the East Area Rapist, where he breaks into homes, sometimes breaks into homes like basically doing recon, like breaking in, scouting the place, leaving creepy stuff like leaving the like ligatures he was going to use to tie people up like under cushions and like things like that and then he would you know pick a night rape the woman steal a few things he would even do things like eat eat their food and really creepy stuff he committed all those rape like so many rapes and then eventually he started kill like committing um rapes where it was couples so he'd like tie the man up and like put dishes on the man's back and stuff that was one of those details that really gave me that spine chilling sensation the idea of someone breaking into your house tying you up and you know that they're potentially going to rape your spouse and then putting dishes on your back so that if you move they will hear and allegedly kill you both that's what they're threatening to do that was just one of those things where you read it and you stop and you take a minute yeah. and you just, you feel that dread and that sense of just deep repulsion towards someone yeah. who could dream up something so sinister and dark. He did some really creepy shit. Aside from like the obvious things like raping and sure. murder, he would like tap on the window, like screens. I think... Most of all, he got off on, like, fear. And I think that's why he started attacking couples, because there was more fear then. The fear from the guy, the fear from the woman, fearing for the other person. Like, it was all doubled. And so he would, like, tap on the window and, like, be, like, extra creepy. He would wake them up with a flashlight so that they were just, like, blinded as soon as they woke up. He would throw the ties at the woman and say, tie the husband up or whatever. She would tie them up. Then he would put dishes on the guy's back and he'd be like, if you move, I'll kill you. Then he would take the woman to another room and rape her, sometimes several times. And he would like go away, ransack the place, eat food, come back, rape her. It was all just really... He would pretend to be gone. This is also one of the creepiest things to me. Imagine that fear of like, okay, I don't hear anything anymore. I can't hear him anymore. You wait as long as you think is possible to like try to get free or like scream for help. And just as you think it's okay, he's like, I'm still here. Like, it's so creepy. It's just, it's just... There's no words. Yeah. 
So I would really creep myself out reading this, but I became obsessed about it. There was this one particular guy who I mentioned earlier on Reddit breaking down all the cases. And then... Just as an aside, isn't it weird how you, there are those people you come across mm. where they post like really good stuff yeah. on Reddit for no financial gain, for yeah. no recognition of who they actually are because they're using a username, a pseudonym. But they've taken the time to write this 2,000 word, yeah. really well written, detailed breakdown of whatever it is. And he wasn't bullet pointing it. He was like telling it like a story, like, you know describing the look in the guy's eyes the way the woman might have described it or like you know maybe even embellishing a little bit but like it was telling a story if this was a bad movie the plot twist would be that that guy was Was yeah yeah yeah. and that's how he knew in such great (laughs) detail he knew things that even the police didn't know (laughs) my god he was under our nose the whole time he was yeah but go on. So at first, yeah, you were I don't want to get. I yeah. want to try and stick into a timeline. And by the way, there are many more podcasts who actually go into great detail about this. The point of me not telling the story is not really to tell you about this case. It's really to tell you about my kind of like how I came about it, and just the craziness of like what's unfolded the past couple of weeks. So if you actually want to know about this, this is not the place to kind of get like the information really. Um, but yeah, so. <clears throat> That's a disclaimer that translates to, I may be misremembering things. Don't take these factoids yeah, as like, gospel truth. My dates and st- I don't have like the exact, I've got like 70s and 80s. I haven't got like in 1971 on a Tuesday. Like I haven't got that there was kind a of memory. Moon. It was 79% humidity. <laughs> but this is what that guy was doing when he was written. He was telling it all. And so it was really like interesting. Anyway, so it came to a point where I guess we got to his last post. He was like, this is the last post. And then I like read up myself like a bit of extra information. Um, and then, you know, you move on to the next thing. You just kind of move on to something else. Up until... I then went like what, 10 months or whatever, however many months it was, not really thinking about it. And then I saw someone on my Facebook reading a book called I'll Be Gone in the Dark. And it wasn't until I clicked in the comments that I realized what this book was about. It was like one woman's obsession with the Golden State Killer. The EAR, basically. She had nicknamed him. That's where the Golden State Killer comes from. So there's this book by... And didn't she do that very intentionally to try and draw more attention to the yeah, case? Yeah, because I think the idea was, like, and she had been told, we're talking about Michelle McNamara, who wrote I'll Be Gone in the Dark. She passed away while she was writing the book. That's why I think the book is so good, is because it's not just about the case it's about her obsession it's about her life and then at some point in the book she actually dies and it's all just very it's just kind of it's intense you know so what did you say oh the the name she came up with the moniker yeah so basically i think one of the reasons why she came up with a new name is because this guy had several names. Some people thought he was also the Visalia Ransacker. He was called the East Area Rapist. 
He was also called the original Night Stalker. And because there was already a Night Stalker, it it was confusing to some. Like, what, what are the reasons why this case wasn't as big as, like, the Zodiac? There was there's no reason because it's the same time, it's the same area, it's the same, like, horrible crimes, except he committed way more. So why isn't anyone talking about it? And I think it, it, she even says in the book, like, there are law enforcement people who've, who've said to her, like, it confuses people, all the names, you know? So she co- started calling him the Golden State Killer because it's a new name that you haven't heard before and it's just one name that means all these things. It's catchy. Yeah. It's very sensationalised. Exactly. I also, I just wanted to point out, I like this idea of this guy being labelled the original Night Stalker. Yeah, because there was a Night Stalker, and then when they... Yeah, I don't really know how they I, got there. I imagine but... the other guy coming out of hiding and filing a copyright claim <laughs> against this guy. I think, did they catch the Night Stalker? I think they did. So it was all very, you know... I think part of why this case also, like... I was, like, drawn to this particular case is that he committed so many crimes and wasn't caught. Um, was this was he before the other Night Stalker? Because otherwise, why would you call him yeah, the original? Yeah, he must have been. I think there was a Night Stalker, and then when they gave a name to this guy, they were like, well, he's the original Night Did Stalker. Did he leave a note somewhere that said, <laughs> I was stalking in the night when you were just a little boy, son? <laughs> Yeah. Will never match my night stalking prowess. Well, that's that kind of brings me to like them thinking that like for a, a big portion of his crimes, a lot of people would describe him as being really young. Some people even described him as being like late teens, like college age. Um, yeah. So one of the reasons why I think I was drawn to this is because he committed all those crimes and was never caught. I think that's a big draw, right? yeah, you know, like. Of Kind of like the Zodiac or like Jack the Ripper or whatever. You want to know because you don't know. Um, yeah, so I saw this person reading this book. And as soon as I knew there were books about it already, but they were like information dumps, you know. And I guess why I was drawn to this is because it is like one woman's obsession, one woman's story about another story. And I read the book. I got the book and I read the book in like two days. It was really good. Um, I'm so high on it. I'm like, I need to find all this information. (laughs) You were like doing some recording work and I was in the bedroom on my own in the middle of the night, fucking creeping myself out. Assembling a dossier. Yeah, trying to get all this like new, any kind of new information that I didn't already know. And then we're sitting on the couch a few days later it's like a week after I've read the book and they've caught him. They've like actually caught him. And I can't explain the feeling that I had in that moment. I was like shaking. It was insane. I couldn't believe it. And I remember you were even like, it might not be him. It might not be him. Because you know, when they give you like, they give you like a little bit of information and then you have people on Reddit saying, I'm like an insider and I know all this stuff. And it's like, so is it real? Is it yeah. real? I'm like, 
I need to know. Because when we first saw it, it had only been reported by a local news station. Yeah, it was like Fox 40 or something. Yeah. And I'm like, I said to this? you, wait until the New York Times has a headline about it. They basically have said they've made an arrest and there's going to be a press conference the next day. That's all that was said. But then when you go on Reddit, there's all these like insiders who are like, you know, there's a bunch of people on there that are investigators themselves and people who also have inside information. And obviously sometimes that type of stuff is bogus. My cousin's friends, janitors, yeah. roommates, cousins, <laughs> ex-girlfriend works for the police department and yeah. she said it really is him. Exactly. And he's also Jack the Ripper. <laughs> he's a time-travelling oh, bandit. Don't get me started. After, like, the dust had settled a bit and, like, people were like, okay, we got him, like, and the press conference had happened, lots of people in the, not lots, but, like, enough that you saw it several times, were people trying to, like, link, what you're trying to say, what if he was the Zodiac as well? <laughs> because they want yeah. it to be solved. <clears throat> it's not special enough that we caught this guy. I know. You're, he needs to also have been this, like, incredible country spanning yeah. like he encompasses the careers of five different serial killers somehow yeah. so so uh, just to point out i was amazed like it was so surreal to me that this guy had gone uncaptured for whatever it is 30 40 years and then you read a book about him and a couple of days yeah. later they finally catch him in between reading the book and then that week after that they found him, do you remember when I was cooking and I said to you, what if they catch him in my lifetime? Do you remember yeah. I said that? And then they did. And it's just like, how many times do you get to say that? You just sure. don't. You just don't get to say it. And that's what makes it even more poignant that this investigator, the woman who wrote the book, died before. Yes. I think that's why I got so wrapped up in the book is because adding kind of like like morbid stuff onto morbid stuff was that this woman who wrote, woman had this obsession about it and then she herself died kind of, not mysteriously, but she was young. She was in her 40s and it was sudden and they didn't know she was going to die. And, you know, so it was all this, this kind of yeah. like mysterious stuff and that kind of definitely added a layer to it. Um so they've caught the guy. So they caught the guy. That was another thing, knowing that he could still be alive. Because a lot of people, it was the 70s when he started, right? <clears throat> it was the 70s when he started. And if it was right that people had described him as being early 20s, then he would still be alive. It turns out he's 72. He was in his early 20s when he started committing, like, the VR crimes and the EAR, he was a bit older. So he was older than a lot of people had um, described him as, but they do say that, like, eyewitnesses aren't usually actually as, as good at being witnesses right. as you'd think. But also... When you've been traumatized, your mind is like doing all kinds of stuff. And I think there was there was supposedly like this very childlike thing about him, the way he acted, the way he kind of like would talk to himself, the things he would say. And that obviously lends itself towards thinking that the guy is young. That and like constantly being able to evade police. He was always running away, hopping fences, 
riding a bike sometimes. You think young person when you think that. So it's crazy that he's still alive. So it turns out he's 72. He lives among his crimes. Uh, He lives in Sacramento. So... They someone put together like a map of like here's all the crimes and he lives right there and in the middle just, of it. Yeah, another thing that's shocking for a lot of people is that he was a police officer. He wasn't like a police officer throughout the whole thing. He was a police officer in the very beginning, and then, well, for all the rapes basically, the ransacking and the rapes, and then he got fired. This is a crazy like information. While he was a police officer. He got caught stealing dog repellent and a hammer from a store and lost his job as a police officer. And then when he lost his job, he escalated to murder. Um, Because of his anger at being fired? I don't know. Like, you can't know that for sure, sure, but you can say, well, maybe, or maybe it's that he had more More time in his hands or whatever. Like, it had been mentioned somewhere upon reading about him that some people speculated that he might be law enforcement because, A, just the way he operated, but also because he he always knew. He just seemed to always know how to get away or, like, where the police were. and Because this was, like, even though I talk about how why don't more people know about this? While it was happening in the 70s, apparently things were crazy. Like, people would put together, like, neighbourhood watch type things and they would, like, walk the streets at night, like, trying to keep a lookout and people start, you know, gun sales went up and all kinds of crazy shit. Um, People put bars in their windows and fortified their homes. Yeah, but at the same time, what's mentioned several times is, like, people saying they saw weird shit but not calling the police. So while on one hand people were, their alerts were, like, high, that's not the right word. I understand. They were getting paranoid but not vigilant. Yes. Um, Like, this creepy, like, one guy saw, like, a man looking into someone's window and he just kept watching him and then he like drops down to the floor and like crawls, you know, like how you would in the military, crawls on like your your elbows up to the window. Like how creepy is that? And then you don't call the police. I don't know. It's just, it's pretty insane. So, <laughs> okay, so basically where we were at when reading the book, I... I There wasn't really that much new information in the book that I didn't already know. It was more so just getting to kind of see it explained in a certain way or the added, um, just the added stuff she put in. But so basically where we were in terms of like, okay, I have all this information now. He wasn't caught even though they had his DNA. They had his blood and they had his semen or whatever. And they knew certain things about him. Like, for instance, they knew he was what they call a non-secreter. And that's just a certain type of, like, rare gene that people have. And apparently only 20% of the population have it. So it narrows it down some. 
But having someone's DNA is useless if they're not in the database and he wasn't in the database. Sure. Um, there were sketches, like composites of him over the years. But this, there were like several sketches that all kind of look not like each other. So it's like what... Which you know, one's the right one? I never really myself put too much stock in like real life sketch. Co- like I never really thought that like they end up looking like the person, but I don't, don't really have that much experience in looking at like whatever. So I didn't know, you know. Um, it turns, I don't really think now that he's caught and like having seen the photos of him when he was younger, that he looks like the sketch composites. However, now that he has been linked as being the Vesalia ransacker as well, he looks like the sketch composites of the Vesalia ransacker. So I don't know what happened there. So they had all this stuff. So the conclusion is at the end of the book, basically by like the investigators and like research assistants or whatever that helped finish the book after Michelle died, like, they say at some point that they think in the next few years he will be caught because of the advancements in, like, analysing DNA. And they briefly mention, like, DNA websites, like genealogy websites or whatever. And, you know, obviously, for, like, for some people it's like, well, why can't you just, like, <clears throat> put his information in and get it? But there's, like, privacy laws. I don't really know that... You can't submit someone's DNA sample that isn't yours. The idea being that only you can consent for your DNA to be analysed by these private companies. Yeah. So you can't be like... How did they submit his DNA, then? I'm not... You're asking... I'm a layman to this case. They did submit his DNA. But I think maybe each site has a different... Privacy policy is what I was getting. I didn't read too much into the actuality of that because I didn't really understand it, so there's no point. But basically, what I gather is is that they put his DNA into the system and they got a pool of people, like results from that. And then what they did is they narrowed it down to like, well, this person can't be a suspect because they're female and this can't be a suspect because of their age or whatever. And they, wasn't it that they found a relative of his Yes, first? they found relatives, basically. And then they got to him, like his name come up because of that, right age range, lives in the right place, etc., etc. So then what they did was, is they put people on him, like they surveilled him, and they tried to get discarded DNA, so I'm guessing like, the trash basically and they got it and they tested it and then i guess it the match wasn't good enough or like it wasn't 100 percent. so they got another piece of discarded dna and it was 100 percent. so then they waited for him to come out of his house and then they arrested him i guess because they don't want some kind of like fight or like hostage situation. situation yeah so yeah, so it turns out he's like a 72-year-old guy who he was in the Navy and when he got out of the Navy, he trained to become a police officer. He was then a police officer, not in a place where he committed crimes. Like, he was a police officer in counties that, like, he didn't commit crimes in. 
Um, he wasn't a police officer for very long. He did shoplifting and then he got fired or whatever. Continued to commit all his crimes. Um, and then he has, like, kids. Like, he has, like, three kids. He's not married anymore. Um, at the time of his arrest, like, one of his kids and their child were living with him. When he stopped committing his crimes altogether, wasn't there speculation that that must have meant he was in jail or he had been killed? Or Yeah, because a lot of people say that, like, it's not usual that, like, people do stop. But I think, didn't the BTK killer, he stopped committing crimes? But So it can happen, but I think the idea is that, like, it's not usual. So they thought, oh, maybe he's in prison or he died or he moved somewhere, yeah. like, crazy. But... I think generally they won't stop until they are actually stopped. stopped. Yeah. And a lot of people now don't think that he did stop. They think maybe his MO changed or he did it in a different place because he basically stopped when DNA technology came into play. Um, so I don't know if he stopped because he was afraid. He knew his DNA right. was out there. So he, you know... What has he actually been charged with? So basically, right now, he can't be charged with the rapes on their own because of the statute of limitations. However, he can be charged with the murders and then consequently charged with their rapes because it's it's called, like, rape with special circumstance. So the fact that he would take the women to another room um, tied up, that's like a kidnapping. Um, so it's like murder with special circumstances and it becomes a special circumstance when it's like particularly brutal as well as from what I was gathering and so he's been charged with 12 of the murders now I think and now obviously because he, he they did say at the press conference that he is the Vasalia ransacker there was a murder then so it bugs me a little bit that they keep saying 12 murders it's actually 13 right so yeah, I mean, so that's going to be life on top of life on top of life. Obviously, it's sad for the... Because there are, because of when it was, there are victims still alive. Yeah. And... And this <clears> guy <throat> has gotten to live a full life after yeah. committing these crimes. And it's obviously for them, you know, I wish that he could be... He could be um, convicted on those rapes, but I guess he can't. I don't really understand... The reasoning behind statute of limitation I don't laws. I don't either. What's the purpose? Yeah. I'm sure there is probably a good reason. Is it just some reason. kind of like archaic, well, it's been so long, why does it matter? Like, I don't understand. I don't know if that's that's what it says on the Magna Carta. Yeah. It's been quite a while. Yeah. Let's forget about those charges. I feel like they should do away with such as limitations. They have for some things, right? Or they've lengthened them. Like, so, I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know enough about it. But... You're telling me you're not a law scholar? That's <laughs> no. why I fell in love with you. <laughs> you're always lecturing to me about tort reform. His wife was a lawyer. Right. And so that's obviously like, how could... You know, that whole like, how could your wife not know is just bullshit. Because we know people can lead double lives. They can have sure. like separate families, you know. Um but yeah, of course, now it, people are coming out of like the woodwork saying like, I knew him or I knew someone who knew him. And some of it, you know, brings about information and some of it doesn't. Like something I read just yesterday was, 
I haven't told you this bit yet, I don't <laughs> think. It turns out that when he was 10 and his sister was 7, his dad was, like, also in the Air, like the air Force or something. And um, so they were living on, like, a base or they were at, like, a base and they were playing in, like, a hangar or in somewhere. And two men came in and raped his sister, like, both raped his sister in front of him. That just came out yesterday. The person who gave this information is his sister's son. The sister's dead now. And so, obviously, because a lot of people, there's always threads and stuff in the message boards and on Reddit of, like, what do you want to know if he's finally caught? And a lot of people are like, I want to know what his childhood was like. And it turns out that his parents were abusive and he saw his sister get raped. And, you know, that's... There's that strange need for people who are just outside observers for cases like this, like famous long-running mysteries, where I think inevitably you want a way to make it comprehensible and make it fit into this neat little narrative of... Serial killers always abused when they're children and that's what fucks them up. And that's why they have broken brains when they grow up and then they commit these monstrous acts. But if you go down that route of hoping for that and expecting that and it doesn't come, then I think it will just eventually leave you even more flummoxed and even more cynical about human nature because it's not always going to turn out. Sometimes the killer is going to have come from a, a privileged upper class family and had a completely happy normal childhood but they just had something wrong with the wiring of their brain yeah i think that's why for me when when that came up like it's one of the things that people wanted to know it it's not one of the things that i wanted to know because it's not shocking if he did have something bad happen to him because, like you said, that's usually what people think and is often the case anyway. And it's also, I don't think, to me, surprising when it turns out someone is abused because it happens way more yeah. than a lot of people think. I think it would be slightly more surprising if he'd had, like, I guess you could say, like, a regular, quote-unquote, regular childhood. But even then, like, <clears throat> it's not shocking to me that if he'd had a normal childhood that he turned out like evil because i don't i don't know i just didn't need to know that information really like it doesn't give me any kind of i don't know i just didn't need to know it really i think if you do rely on that idea of abuse during childhood being a kind of skeleton key that unlocks the mystery of a serial killer the problem is that there are so many children who like you said are abused way more than we probably suspect and who don't go on to commit heinous acts Mm. of murder and destruction and mayhem so how can you really say that that is the key factor that explains what that person did it can't it must just be a contribution to what they ended up becoming yeah, so I think what's more interesting to me is that he did turn out to be law enforcement at some point and he was in the Navy and things like that. I think those things are kind of more interesting to me. It's very interesting to hear 
you explain all of this because I don't know very much about the case. I really only know stuff secondhand from you. And I guess technically that makes it fifth or sixth hand yeah. because you read it from a book from a woman investigating it. So I've gotten it very piecemeal. It is fascinating though. I would say generally I've had times in the past of going down the Wikipedia rabbit holes mm. of reading about say the Zodiac killer, but it's very brief and it's very sporadic. Like it's not a thing for me that I yeah. like to read nonfiction crime stories but sometimes you do get that itch where it's it's you can't explain it and you yeah. know it's not going to make you feel good afterwards you're going to feel just bummed out and melancholy and kind of icky for having read all these lurid details but sometimes i have read about serial killers and i do wonder what is it that makes them so fascinating to us yeah why do we feel the need to ingest all of this information about what they did and about the mystery surrounding them? Why don't we just read this guy did 17 murders back in 1975 and go on about our lives thinking, well, that was goddamn awful, yeah. but I don't need to read a 400-page paperback about it? I think because... Like I was saying earlier, sometimes for me it's like the more brutal, the more I want to know about it. What Part of you is like, I can't believe someone in real life has done this. And so there's that. Yeah. And then there were like, there's just that curiosity, that like mysterious kind of curiosity of like what makes a person do that. I guess that's why people want to know about, like, the childhood and stuff and what kind of environment they were raised in. What has made you that way? And then if the person hasn't been caught or whatever, that adds another layer of, like, well, this is like a game and it's still going. There's no end to it. So there's endless possibilities of, like, what we can talk about. Because... There was that kind of, like, frenzied, like, I need to know all this information. And now that he's been, like, then him being caught is, like, this incredible mixture of feelings of, like, I can't I can't believe he's been caught. I can't believe the people alive will get some kind of, like, justice. I can't believe we know now. I can't believe it's over. Oh, it's over. Am I still as interested in this now? Do you feel guilty about being disappointed now that it has come to its conclusion? I don't think disappointed for me is the right word. I'm not like disappointed that it's over because, well, I don't think it's actually over because obviously like the court case and everything, all of, fine. Now it's just like the next level of the game. And obviously... I feel bad about calling it a game because there were all these people that suffered. But let's not pretend that we're not ingesting all this information as a form of entertainment because it's like a hobby. Yeah. And it just is. There are a portion of people that are obsessed with true crime and it becomes a big part of like what they enjoy doing. Do you think that's because they've become so desensitized to it that 
the actual suffering no longer seems real and vivid to them? No, I don't think it has to be one or the other. I don't think it has to be a case of like, I'm almost enjoying this hobby, meaning I don't care about that person's suffering. Like, I don't really shock that easily, but I don't think I'm desensitized to stuff. One of that night when I was like, you were in here doing recording, and I was in there looking up stuff. It was after I'd read the book, but before he was caught. There are phone calls that he made. That's another element of his creepiness. He made phone calls before and after attacks, like for months in some cases. In one case, wasn't it 20, 30 years after? Yeah, he made a call in 1991 and then he made a call in 2001. And so it's like extra creepy because of that. But we don't know for sure that that was... No, but they because they have his voice on record from him calling the victims around the time of the attack... I guess you just compare the voice to them. And I guess the victims themselves... Yeah, heard voice, his voice. will probably be imprinted on their minds until they're dying dead. Yeah, and he said the same things to them that he did in the phone calls. Um. So, yeah, so I was listening... I was finding out all this information, like, between, you know, what I just said. And I, I knew about the phone calls, <clears throat> but I'd never listened to the recordings... Because I think, I don't know, like I, did, I wasn't sure whether I could. And I clicked on one. No, I didn't click on one. I started listening to a podcast. And the very beginning of the podcast, before they even said anything, there's like heavy breathing, like it's one of the phone calls. And I didn't know whether it was or not, so I just clicked off it. Because, <laughs> because in the bedroom, on my own, the wardrobe door was open. It was all very creepy. And then like, I deleted the podcast and then I unplugged my headphones and then I put the iPhone underneath the bed and then I left the room and then I left the apartment and then I erased my mind. And then I masturbated. Sure. <laughs> Just to have that release at the end. Yeah, so... It was a completely non-sexual... Yeah, utilitarian it was, masturbation. Yeah, it was just a, a release. Sure. Not a sexual release. It was an emotional catharsis. Yeah. So... I clicked off it and was just like, no, I can't. And I didn't know if I couldn't because I was on my own in a room on my own. <laughs> I was only 15 feet away from you. Yeah, but you were like, do you were like doing sound effects. You to, to just explain briefly, you were doing like some recording for something and you were telling a story or whatever and you were doing creepy sound effects on the voice. <laughs> and so I went from hearing the heavy breathing to you doing the creepy sound in the next room. I'm so heartened to hear that I remind you of the Golden State Killer (laughs) slash East Area Rapist. That's pretty revealing. (laughs) So I just stopped. But I think I might listen to the phone call at some point. I feel like I've been edging closer and closer to it. Talking of masturbation. sexually edging. I really don't think you should because it's going to affect you a lot. Yeah, it is. Because you have read hundreds of pages about this guy's true depths of evilness. You don't need to have a voice associated with that for you to forever remember. Do you picture everything that you say? No. 
I picture everything that I like say, everything that I counter. Like you will say a word to me, I'll picture it. You will talk about something. I'm constantly making images of it in my head, okay. right? So when I, I'm reading about this and I'm thinking about this, I really do think about, okay, I'm the person on the bed. He's in front of me. He's got his creepy mask on. He's got his fucking creepy knife or whatever. He's saying creepy stuff in, with clenched teeth and I'm really fucking picturing it. And sometimes just the thought of it just fucking creeps me out so much that I can't breathe for like one second. Yeah. And so I think you're right. I think maybe adding the voice to that. Like I haven't watched the video of him in court over the past few weeks because I don't, I think I don't want to hear him speak. Yeah. Because I just, yeah, it might be a step too far. I think that's an interesting point. Maybe that's why true crime, specifically in the form of books, is so popular and it has such a strong impact on people. Because literature is very singular in that you have to take part in yeah. constructing the world that's being given over to you yeah. in playing out the story that's being told. That's why reading is sometimes feels so much harder than just watching a movie because that's a passive experience where you're just being shown a sequence of images and your mind can't help but interpret them and, and play along and follow what's happening. But when you read a book, you have to actually make that mental exertion to build that world in your head, fill it with the characters that are being related to you, and then make things play out like they your little marionette puppets. Yeah. And so you're almost kind of voluntarily consenting to let this story invade your yeah. own mind and project onto the cinema of your inner consciousness. That was really well put. That's very kind of you really to say, my dear. You. But I, that's, I think that means because you have to take part in the storytelling in a way, you have to make yourself a receptive host for it. Mm. I think maybe that's why it has a much more powerful effect on you. Yeah. Yeah. I think something I did which I didn't think I was going to do was look at some of the crime scene photos. Never a good idea. What I did was... I opened up the like album or whatever that was of crime scene photos and I scrolled really slowly because I was trying to like I was trying to like see the top like like of each image like I was scrolling down on my yeah. phone so I was trying to see the top of the because I didn't someone mentioned about seeing one of the bodies in one of the photos and how like how it looked and and so I was preparing myself for that but i didn't get that far when I, you were trying to gauge how gruesome the image might be were you prepared to skip that image if you thought it would be too much or were you just trying to ready yourself i wasn't sure right. i wasn't sure i was going really slowly because i didn't it was one of the things where it's like i know i shouldn't click on this i know i shouldn't click on this but i've clicked <laughs> on it i clicked on it and i'm going really slowly because i don't know if i want to see it okay that one wasn't so bad that one wasn't so bad it doesn't really show that much that one wasn't so bad so you scroll to another one and you do it really really slowly and then i just clicked off because i think i got to a point where it was like what i've seen so far 
is almost of nothing. It's of like bits of evidence that don't mean anything to me or, you know. Yeah. Or like the screen door that's been pried off and things like that. I hadn't quite gotten to anything so bloody or a body or... And so I was like, no, just click off it. So yeah. I just clicked off it. And I don't think I'll look again. I think that was very wise of you. Yeah. And I can... I also understand how difficult it is to pull yourself away once you go down that rabbit hole because you do just want to voraciously consume every single aspect of this i want to see the pictures and i want to read the excerpts from the police reports and i want to read the witness testimony because you want you have that completionist instinct of i have to take this all in but i really don't think you get anything out of seeing those grainy images of mutilated corpses no, it's just emotional masochism it's yeah. going to make you feel horrible for the rest of the night i already can picture what it yeah might have looked like i already picture it when i think about it so i don't need the real picture yeah. of it so yeah <laughs> so i'm basically just following along now like every couple of days more information will come out like after he was arrested, they were obviously searching his house. So, you know, I guess there was like a neighbor, like a, a youngish girl, not like a child, but like a young woman who was like Instagramming them coming out of the house oh with like gun boxes because they put long guns in like special boxes and stuff. And they... I appreciate that you said long gun. I found <laughs> that quite sexy in the moment, I have to say. I don't know why. But I enjoyed it very much. <laughs> what were we watching when they were like, get the long gun? Maybe it's, I was watching something on my ring own. A bell. I think it might have been Supernatural. Anyway. And if you can believe it, I wasn't watching that with you. No, you were not. So she was like Instagramming. And I don't have a problem with her doing that. I know obviously some people are like, that's gross. It depends how she's doing it. She's just basically standing where the reporters would stand. She's outside the tape. And she's just re- Instagramming them bringing evidence to and from the van if she's snapchatting herself with a, a no. deer filter on her no she's with not little sn- twinkles over her head and she's like hey guys it's me I, i'm outside a serial killer's house right now i thought this would make for good content yeah she wasn't doing that it was she wasn't even in them it was just of like she was a know. citizen journalist yeah is that what you're saying much. yeah pretty much so they were like searching his house for stuff and obviously Something that would be of interest, I think, to a lot of people, and to me, I think I would also be interested is, is if he kept any, because he, like, took thing he took, you know, things that weren't, like, necessarily valuable. He took, like, trinkets and little tokens of things. Famously, serial killers are enamoured with taking little trophies. trophies. Yeah. So it'd be very interesting to see if he kept any of that, See to see if any of that stuff could be identified by any of the victims. Um, but isn't the idea that his wife didn't know? Yeah, but like, So know, if he had a box of hair clippings from 50 different women, I think could, she might cotton on. But if he kept it in with like his guns and his like, he liked to fish apparently, and he had a boat. If he kept it in places like that, when is she ever going to see it? Sure. And if he like was going away to murder if he could do that then surely he can hide a box of fucking (laughs) shit you know but if he wanted to revisit it often Mm. that kind of opens an opportunity for her to walk in on him yeah but maybe that's what he did when he went fishing and stuff like that you know 
But, um, yeah, so it's interesting basically to see what comes out. I mean, I guess for, like, most of his life, because he got fired from the police department, he worked at, like, a warehouse type thing, I think. And so people who've worked with him were just, like, he was just normal but never smiled. And, like, little things like that. Anecdotal, like, bullshit, basically. Generally, when you're working in a warehouse, moving boxes from one place to another, you're not the most cheery of people to Um, begin with. So I'm not sure how much that really says. And then there are neighbours that have been, like, he's often, like, on the yard. Like, he when they show, like, you know, of course, because Reddit always does stuff like this, they, like, get, like, an aerial view of, like, his house and stuff. His house, his garden, like, his front garden is, like evergreen and he's the neighbors are like like a different green yeah he like he's obsessed with keeping it immaculate basically and so there were neighbors apparently saying things like while he's doing working on his garden he's like muttering to himself and like one of the things was that he talked to himself while he was committing these crimes um but the interesting things that like you know you can piece together now that you know who it is is that a few people who he um, attacked had said that he had said, I hate you, Bonnie. And I think law enforcement at the time were like, are you sure he didn't say, I hate you, Mommy? But they were like, no, it's Bonnie. It turns out, before he was married with kids, he was engaged to a woman called Bonnie. And that was around the time of the crimes. Well, the first lot of crimes. He was married and having kids at basically the times of the murders um, because he stops committing crimes that coincide with, like, the birth of his kids. But now, knowing that thing about his sister, her name was Constance, and I think she was called Connie. And so some people are now like, what if it was I hate you, Connie? But... Yeah. This is like trying to now find explanations to like, where yeah, we don't yeah, need yeah, them. Yeah. But I think it was funny. I think you should go with what was first said. Sometimes it's best to just employ Occam's razor and yeah. be done with it. So, yeah, piecing things together, like, um, in the very, I guess in the very beginning of, like, him committing the crimes, it, there, there was, you know, when things are said and then it's not actually true. Like when I first started reading about the um, case, something that kept coming up was that, like, he, 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 um, he must be like a certain type of person because he knows special knots, you know, because he always was like, he used shoelaces to tie them up or like strips of towels and strips of sheets, and he would like knot them in specific ways. That's actually a myth. I think once or twice there was a a ligature left behind that was knotted in a specific... It was like a diamond knot or something it's called. So that was kind of like a bit of a... Not really, guys. It happened once or twice. But, of course, now that you know who is in the Navy and it's like a special type of, like, Navy knot or whatever, you know, you can you can, you can fit every... You but can it, try yeah. to fit... But, again, it's one of those, like, tenuous things that's... In hindsight, not, you can always try and force the puzzle pieces into yeah. some miraculous hole. Yeah. It's funny as well because, like, some things, even though we know it's him now, some people are still, like, I just... It's not sitting right with me that he ended up being, like, 10 years older than we thought because he's, like, hopping fences and stuff. 
as if 30-year-olds can't hop fences, as if 30 is old. Since when can they not? But then someone even pointed out, like, at least one of the places he had dragged, because back then TVs were big boxes. You might not know I this. do recall. <laughs> um, He had pushed, pulled the TV all the way out of the house up to the garden fence to use it to hop over. Just things like that. I guess at one point as well, I just want to say, someone showed up at a hospital with like a like a injured shoulder or whatever. And I think it turns out it was him. He gave like a fake name and the nurse or doctor who saw him thought he was fit the description. So when they called the police, he like scuppered and they never knew who it was. But I think it's it's basically... They're saying now that it was him. My question for you is, where do you draw the line now? If this guy, if it turns out he's definitely who we think he is, he admits to all the crimes, he's convicted, etc., etc. Why does he have to admit? They have his DNA. I'm just saying so we have, like, utmost certainty. There's no doubt whatsoever. There's no way it could not be him. And... He goes on to say, write a book in prison detailing his crimes and why he did it and whatever he wants to say about them. A, would you read that book? Yes. And B, would you feel morally icky about doing so? This has come up like a few times, like when you're on like, you visit things like true crime subreddits, someone will always say like, do you ever feel bad that this is kind of like entertainment? And it's like, no, because me personally, I'm not thinking I want someone to commit a heinous crime so I can get joy out of it. That's not why I'm doing it. Like, I, And I don't want more things to happen so I can, can read about it. I, I don't know why I'm fascinated with it, but I definitely don't get the kind of like entertainment out of it that's like... Oh, you know, like, it's more of a curiosity and because of the mystery of things and because some of it really is just so incomprehensible that you become kind of obsessed with trying to find out more information so that it makes sense somehow. So I don't feel bad because I don't don't have any horrible intent behind what I'm doing. Sure. I feel awful for the victims like some of the victims are still alive and because obviously they didn't use their real name like when they talked about in like michelle's book and stuff it's pseudonyms but now some of them are choosing to come out and like give interviews and things like that and you know one of the women was like i slept with my window open for the first time in like 40 years Because she felt safe. Because she felt like she could because now he was caught. Because there was that added thing of, like, calling them up afterwards even though they'd moved house. How did he know? Yeah. And so now it's like they have, I'm glad he's caught. Despite, like, that kind of tiny bit of, like... Because someone made a thread. This is an example. Someone made a new thread. What do we do now? Who's (laughs) next? And I'm like, I get what you're saying, but that is a bit cold. Like, 
I am 110% glad that he was caught. It's so amazing that he's been caught. While the, some of these women and men are still alive. Belated as the justice is, mm. it has finally come. Yeah. And that's important. It's not just mm. the principle of the thing. It's also, it's important and valuable that the people who are still alive get to see this guy brought to trial, get to see him be punished. Speaking of, of course, people were like, I hope they have him on, like, suicide watch so he can't, like, try to kill himself and stuff like that. Right. Uh, Pretty. There's a line between morbid curiosity and just sadistic punitive instincts because yeah. people were also saying like what would you prefer him get like the death penalty or just stay in prison for the rest of his life and a lot of people were saying there's no difference at this point because he's so old he could potentially live to a hundred exactly that's 30 years imprisonment yeah. that's not anything yeah. to sneeze at and i imagine being imprisoned when you're elderly is even worse in a sense yeah and also despite the way he looked going into court like He was in a wheelchair, and I think that might be, or either he just requested it, or like, like some of the reports were coming out that he was like refusing to eat and drink and stuff. So it might just be that he's weak. He they might have given him a sedative to calm down. It could be any number of reasons. However, according to like information that's come out about his life, he is like a fit old man. He rides his bike. He has motorbikes, he goes fishing, he goes on his boat, he does his yard. He's not like a feeble old man who can't move. Yeah, it is a notorious tactic of some unscrupulous lawyers Mm. that if they have an elderly client, they will dress them up to try and make them look as old and decrepit as possible. They'll wheel them out in a wheelchair and they'll make sure they act in a certain way to seem weak and helpless and pathetic. So you never know with that type of thing. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. My, I guess my follow-up question would be, do you think there's a danger now that he has been captured and now that the spotlight is on him in particular? If he does write a book and try to explain how, for example, he had this traumatic childhood and that's why it made him do these things that he didn't really want to do. If he tries to paint himself in a sympathetic, understandable way, do you think there is a danger that he now gets to take the reins of the narrative and he gets to control, like he gets to have the final word in a way if he chooses to write a tell-all i don't think there's like a date like because i mean what type of person have you got to be to like read his account of things and feel sorry for him or feel like in some way his crimes were justified like no he can write whatever he fucking wants to write but he still terrorized communities for a decade like and they were because he wasn't caught it lasted longer for some yeah so I just don't... His youngest victim was, like, 13. So he also raped children. Jesus Christ. So there is no sympathy. I'm sorry that you had, like, a bad childhood, obviously. But what then you do with that? Like, he... Yeah, I don't... 
I would read the book because, like we've said a million times, my fucking morbid curiosity would get the better of me. But I think you'd have to read it. I wouldn't buy it. I would illegally download it. <laughs> Take that, murderer. <laughs> yeah. I torrented your yeah. ebook. I think you'd have to read it and interpret it not as literal truth yeah. or 100% genuine fact. You'd have to read every sentence and try and view it through the lens of this is him trying to put his own spin on it. Yeah. Because if you let yourself be suckered into him trying to spin you this yarn and trying to make you view him in a certain more favorable way, then you're just playing into what he obviously would want. There's only going to be the occasional criminal who is just completely honest yeah. about why he did what he did. Like, it, you know, speaking of, like, taking what he says as truth, he would, when, when he committed crimes, like, he would say things like, like he would start sometimes by saying, I'm not going to hurt you, I just want money from my van or something. Um, sometimes he would say I and sometimes he would say we and things like that. And so a lot of people would thought that like a lot of what he said was like just to mess with you and like a red herring. Him, apparently like, he would talk through clenched teeth and people thought that was him trying to like disguise his voice. Sometimes he would stutter and people thought that that was put on. Sometimes he would cry and sometimes people thought that was put on. But it's like, actually, when you think about it, if you're in like the frenzy of committing this horrible crime, the chances are, in my eyes, that it's probably all true. Maybe not like that stuff about I just need money. That's clearly like a a thing you say before you commit the crime so people don't just automatically scream or whatever it's to to terrorize them into doing what you want but then things like going off and crying and stuff that's like uncontrollable stuff and in my mind i saw that as being true but it is split down the middle like 50 percent of people are saying like no i think it's all just he was all just doing it as like part of his act kind of thing so people definitely have a certain way of viewing these people no matter what you say. Yeah, and I think there's an interesting question about to what extent do, say, serial killers feel a need to be understood, to feel yeah. a need to communicate with the outside world? Because they are often, or at least in the most famous, most notorious cases and i'm thinking of the zodiac killer mm. and the son of sam and etc etc you often see that they've written letters cryptic missives mm. to the local newspaper or to the police or to a particular victim and sometimes it is just deranged gibberish which gives you some insight into how miswired their shrunken brains are but sometimes it's clear that they are trying to get across what in their minds is their truth. Mm. They are trying to put something out there that they think accurately represents what they're going through yeah. and why they are so fucked up. So to a certain extent, they must feel a need to try and, instead of just hiding in the shadows in every single way, although they do commit their crimes in private scenario so they don't get caught in other ways they do feel a need to put themselves out there to put the spotlight 
on them and their stories. He definitely, I think, had a phase of maybe either wanting to be known or just being unable to not say anything. Because for some during some of the time he was committing crime, he contacted or who they think was him, contacted the police, like called them and like taunted them and said like, I'm going to kill again tonight. And then he did kill again that night. Um, So it's generally thought of as that was him. He did that a couple of times. And then I think one of the victims said something like, "Um, if I don't hear about this, I'll see it in the news or something like that. Something along those lines. So he was clearly, like, watching the news about himself and, like, blah, blah, blah. So I think he probably had a phase where he was, like, he either wanted to be known or was just unable. There was so much press about it, he was just unable to not comment, you know. But then I guess he stopped right. at some point. So... Yeah, maybe... <laughs> Obviously, not every time it is a genuine, authentic attempt to try and express themselves Mm. or to try and, like, put a fragment of their personal story out there. Sometimes it really is just a devious, sadistic attempt to manipulate people, to try and make themselves seem more fearsome or insane, to try and make the police do what they want them to do. Sometimes it is just cynical manipulation and ploys. And it's hard to tell the difference between that from the outside, obviously, because it always just seems like the rantings and ravings of a madman. And it, who knows when it is actually coming from a place of of a real attempt to put themselves out there accurately. He also, he started out attacking lone females and then escalated to attacking couples and i wonder if that has something to do with i mentioned earlier that it like doubles up the fear that he wanted to like elicit in people but i also wonder if it's because he did crave that kind of like recognition slash audience like look what i'm doing look what i can do and i get away with it there was definitely a brazenness about him You know, he wasn't getting caught. He was committing these crimes, these robberies, and then these, like, robberies, rapes, then these robberies, rapes, murders. He was committing them year after year and not getting caught. How can you not be, like, cocky at that point? You know? So... Obviously, it's perhaps unwise to try and play armchair psychologist especially 40 years later but just from what you've told me about how he would tie up the male partners and sometimes he would make them watch no he always took the woman into the next right okay also often they had children but he (sighs) would just like he would if occasionally a child would come out of the room and he would just put them back in the room and shut the door right yeah. One time, I think when it was just a woman on her own, she had like a toddler and the toddler was on the bed while he was doing it. Jesus. Yeah. My point was going to be, I would be inclined to think that he's tying up the man and obviously that 
person then has the knowledge that their spouse is going to be raped. He's doing that as an expression of dominance. Yeah. And then presumably it's because he doesn't feel very in control or feel like he has much power in his real life. Yeah. Was he like a weedy, small, wiry guy? No, he was always described... Well, he was described as being like 5'10". And the VR, which is before he committed the rapes, it was described as being like chubby a little bit, like in the like a pear shape. Okay. But then when he was the EAR committing the rapes and stuff and then the murders, he was always described as like athletic, like with thick thick upper thighs, like a runner or a swimmer. Um, but he didn't have confidence. Like there were there were comments like. Um, so I guess he had like a mask. Sometimes it was like a regular ski mask, but I think a couple of times it was like cut out like this, so you'd see more of his face. And I think someone said something. One of the victims said something about his face while he was raping her, and he it, it apparently like jolted him, and he was like, like no one ever says anything about my face because of what happened or like Jesus as if he Christ. had like scars or That's he had like low self-esteem intensely creepy yeah so yeah. yeah so i think the idea was that he was like juvenile and didn't have like confidence see this goes back to what i was saying i i do we're talking about this guy, and I feel like we could just talk about him endlessly. Yeah, we don't know anything. Yeah, and speculate yeah. about all these different motives and all these different psychological flaws he had that he was venting, and et cetera, et cetera, and just create these different narratives to try and explain this. And in a way, even though I'm in it right now, I can kind of step out of it a little bit and see how perverse it is. Yeah. To put all this attention on this monster. Yeah. Whereas I don't know a single one of the victims' names or who they were, what their lives were like, what their aspirations were before their lives were snuffed out or ruined, but not, you know, ruined, but they were obviously intensely negatively affected by being attacked, by being raped. But I don't know how you address that imbalance because I don't want to be fascinated by someone who is clearly broken, clearly evil, but I am. Mm. So what do you do? What do you do there? I don't feel the need to do anything. I I guess is my, I know if I think about it, that like some people have a pro like when you were talking about the morality of it, like I know that like to some it is kind of like perverse and like you're getting essentially getting entertainment out of this. But like I said earlier, I don't think I'm doing anything wrong. I don't think most of the people interested in this type of thing is doing anything wrong. We're not like, you know, on the side of him or like wanting crimes to happen yeah i think i just have an uneasy conscience about it because like even with this capture and witnessing the media circus around it and how there's just endless coverage of every tiny progression in the case and there's just 
a deluge of photographs every time he's moved from one place to another and there's all this speculation and all these opinion pieces and all these news stories it has become a product to be sold to people like obviously it had already been with all these books written about it but i'm just seeing it for the first time now and that way that it's packaged as this sensationalized entertainment there is something about that that makes me feel a little bit morally queasy because he What's did sensationalized about it well just when you see like the lurid details of his crimes the way he raped people and the way he murdered people there's a a way that sometimes it gets written about where you know the writer is trying to play on look how gruesome this is and look how yeah. crazy this guy was and look how bizarre these things he did while he was in the throes of these monstrous acts where i can tell that it's not just you trying to relay the facts of the scenario you're trying to paint this picture you're trying to craft this story that will be as engaging and and as morbidly entertaining as possible and at the same time i just remember that there were all these people who really were killed who really were raped but that's the point this really did happen so the fact that it happened and it happened in such volume over such an amount of time and that he wasn't caught those are all the reasons why people are fascinated like the way that it affected communities and changed the way people went about their lives that's why it's so i think there's also something about crimes being committed in california that's definitely it romanticizes it just a little i feel like you need to explain how california rom- you don't get you don't get this you don't feel this you don't really think of california the way i think of california though okay california has a kind of like yeah i get that part of it but why does the fact that these crimes took place i don't know just california in the 70s was like a special place a special time and the amount of like when reading about this and then people will be like are you sure this isn't the same guy as this kind of like how they thought he was the vasilio ransacker as well it turns out there were an awful lot of like like notorious like burglars and like rapists and murderers in the 70s in california in the same type of areas it just seems like it was a fucking epidemic yeah but i guess there's so many people in california that it's not like a normal place so i don't know yeah i don't know why i'm so ambivalent about it I think I just haven't settled on how to mentally grapple Mm. with my interest in things like this. I think I came to terms with it a long time ago. (laughs) Like, I remember one of the earliest memories of, like, reading or knowing about something, like, really horrible was Fred West and Rose West. You know about that, right? I'm not even slightly familiar. You kidding? No. Oh, my God. English couple. Okay. I don't remember what decade, maybe the 80s um, or maybe earlier. I might be wrong because it's been a long time since I've read about them. 
they would like pick up hitchhikers or um and like kill them and bury them in their under their house and like in the walls and stuff. I think they also killed one or some of their kids. Um, yeah, it was pretty horrible. <laughs> and they like they were caught and then went to prison. And I think I think they're either both dead now or just Fred's dead that like, died in prison. So it's pretty. It's a proper like English like. What they're makes like, it English? No, I mean, like, they're, like, one of the big <laughs> the, right, British, yeah. like, ones you know about. Evidently of. not. Yeah. We know about the Moors murders as well, right? Vaguely. Yeah, you don't know any of this. That's because you don't have, like, a messed up head. <laughs> I've only gone down a couple specific trails in terms of reading about... It's the big ones. It's the Zodiac Killer. Yeah. Well, that Fred and Roosevelt was big in terms of England. Right. And the Moors murders was big in terms of England as well. The Moors murders was kids. They killed kids. But the Fred and Rose West ones were like one of the first I remember actively seeking out. Like I had heard about it. You know how you just hear about things? Like maybe I'd saw something on the news or on the TV about it or heard someone mention it and then... I remember Steve, I think I was like 12. Um, the perfect age for reading about grisly murders. Well, yeah. If you don't start young, then... How are you going to be fucked up for adulthood? Exactly. My stepdad had like... They were like subscription magazines, I guess. But it was like... As opposed to... Murders or something. No, I don't know. I don't know why... <laughs> called it a subscription magazine it was like murder monthly or something right. i don't know and um it was like a different type of crime each one and i remember grabbing a pile of them and like looking at them and one was all about right. fred and rose west and i remember just like being just like strangely fascinated about yeah. this yeah so i guess that's probably where it started i mean i'm sure maybe it it probably did start before that, but I don't remember. I don't have a proper memory of of being into things like that before then. Like I said, I've only... It's like once in a blue moon, maybe I'll see a reference to something in a news story or, as you were talking about, a Reddit post. And then I will just go and look it up on Wikipedia or yeah. whatnot. I really... The only way I can get really hooked and want to keep going further and further and reading in more and more detail is if the, whatever it is, serial killer has actually communicated in some way, like written letters. Like the Zodiac. Yeah, that's, if there's not, if it's just a ghost who just went into people's houses and killed them and was never seen was never heard of again we have no idea who they might be what their motives were i think i i couldn't give it the same level of interest as when you can actually see like this was a letter penned by their mm. hand this is a direct glimpse into their mind yeah. whether or not it is really them trying to express themselves or there's some duplicitous motive behind it but either way you're actually getting to 
it's a tenuous link to the actual person, but it is actually some evidence of who they were and how they fought. Without that, I don't think I could really... Get involved, invested, <laughs> hooked, excited. I don't think I could really get hooked. Yeah. Well, there was a little bit of that with the AR. Like, just in that he called the police a few times. He called his victims several times. He, There was, like, some papers dropped near a crime scene. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's, like... I remember reading about that. I think there's, like, a poem or something, and then there's, like... a. It's like when your teacher makes you write li- like lines, there's him talking about that when he was in like sixth grade or something and his teacher making him write lines and how he hated it. And um, yeah, so, and what? then there was like a map, a map of like the area, but it was like a weird... Not it didn't re- actually correspond to real yeah, geography. Yeah. Which some is people creepy. Said, some people said it had... Some people who work in construction said it had something to do with the way they would like to draw maps, I guess. And so it was. It's kind of by most people seen as though that's his. Those are his. But I saw someone speculating that because this, it's a map of a residential area, how hmm. the buildings are laid out and whatnot. Because it doesn't actually correspond to any real place, I saw someone saying that this was him trying to devise what would be the perfect place to commit his crime. Like that had the perfect sight lines, the perfect escape routes, where the houses were spaced in exactly the right way for him to infiltrate, which is just such a creepy idea that he was dreaming up. Yeah. Yeah. And to touch on the thing you were talking about, which is this weird diary entry where, yeah, he is railing against some teacher that punished him in grade Mm. school or whatever. A weird thing that I've noticed spans across several different serial killers. They always have bad grammar and bad spelling. Yeah. They always spell things in these really weird... Like juvenile ways. Yeah, like they have these idiosyncrasies of every time he writes the word tall, he puts an E on the end for no apparent yeah. reason. I don't know why I that is, but I've noticed that with several different individual ones. Speaking of like getting around, they thought that he got around using waterways and canals because a couple of times like the dog sniffers would like lead to like that type of place and then the tracks would disappear so is that because the water covers the scent yeah i don't know that and them thinking that he had a car waiting like near the waterways i don't know but there's a a part if i remember correctly in the book we read in or maybe it was... Oh, yeah, because you skimmed a bit of it, didn't you? I think... Because when you were getting into this, I quickly looked at the Wikipedia page for this so I could have some mm. notion of what it was you were talking to me about. Isn't there a part where he is being chased by the police on a bicycle and he manages to evade them? Yeah, there's a couple of times when... There's a car, there's time when a police officer thought he saw someone who might have been him but they don't know right and also um 
One of the murders he committed was because, while he was the Vasily Ransacker, was because someone chased after him and he shot them. And then another time was someone chased after him and he turned around and shoots at them, but the bullet gets caught in, like, the flashlight, so it doesn't actually kill the guy. Whoa. Yeah. Um... But there's one, I don't remember which one, but one of the times he was being chased, he stops and he's like, please don't hurt me. But he distracts them and then, like, gets away. Like, the, What he, kind of Looney yeah. Tunes type charade it did he manage to pull? It definitely does. Like, the amount of times he kind of gets away is just... Look over there. There's a, a thing. He definitely he had, away. I think, luck somehow on his side. Like... He always seemed to just be able to get away. Like, yeah. But I think that makes it more intriguing that there were it so does, many yeah. near misses where he, if the dice had rolled slightly different, he would have been apprehended that night yeah. and his whole crime spree would have been truncated right then and there. But he kept getting away. He kept getting a second mm. lease of life to carry on. I don't understand why when he was a police officer and he got caught shoplifting... Dog repellent and a hammer. Why no one was like, there's a fucking prowler and a fucking murderer, rapist on the loose, who a lot of people had dogs and he didn't seem to have any problem with them, probably because he was using dog repellent. No one looked into this guy any further than, I guess I briefly saw, like I, I didn't look into it too much, but I guess they were going to like take him to court over it like or he was gonna like appeal to like not be fired because of it but he was gonna end up having to go to court but because they did he obviously didn't want people looking into him he kind of gave in and was just like okay i'll be fired if he had been he also got stopped at some point in the 90s i think or the 2000 and something um for like like a traffic stop of some kind if he had been convicted wouldn't they have taken a DNA sample? Yeah. Pro no, probably, maybe. Although one of the victim's brother, if I remember correctly, he spent like a million dollars. Oh, yeah. Trying to push through an initiative to have all felons in the state, a, a DNA database of everyone who has been convicted. Yeah. One of the couples that were murdered, Harrington, I believe it is. No relation to Jon Snow. What is wrong with you? Um, you know nothing. Um, he, the yeah, the brother of like one of the people that was murdered, he was like rich basically, and he just ever since the guy was killed, he would just was kind of like, you know, wouldn't let it go. And he, he, he basically gave money to like change the way DNA is used, yeah. and so he helped get like a system in place where if you commit like a crime your dna is in the in the database but if i recall correctly it didn't end up helping to catch this guy it didn't end up helping to catch this guy because he wasn't in the database yeah but that's my point yeah yeah, yeah. but it helped catch other people I'm sure. I'm sure um but he's just been on the case ever since and he's still alive and when they gave the press conference the day after he was arrested he was there. He was one of the people who spoke at the press conference. And I have to say this. 
all the most of the people who spoke at the press conference, especially this one woman, all they were fucking doing is patting themselves on the back. I have to just constantly. It was like I have to just thank my team, the t- wonderful team who have like worked so hard. It's like it's been forty years, love. How hard have you been working? Like, it. She just kept saying it over and over again. It's like, all right, give us the information and stop patting yourself on the back, and then. Mr. Harrington comes on the thing and he's basically like, says, he basically goes off book at some point and he's like, what have the police been doing kind of thing? Yeah, so he, and he even got in there like about how there was an election coming up and you should vote on this bill that's like (laughs) something to do with DNA. So like he got, he got some shit done. But um, yeah, it was pretty emotional watching the press conference. Especially when he came on because he has like a personal connection. Right. Um, but yeah. Do you think they will ever make a a movie adaptation of the woman's book specifically? Like how it was, how everything's intermingled with her obsession over this case? HBO have got, have bought the rights to her book for a, se- a documentary series. But I don't like. This was before he was caught. Like, the book came out only a few months before I read it, I think. And so between then and me reading the book, so just like a week before he was caught, HBO had bought the rights to it. Um, I'm sure it's going to have changed the way they were going to do the series now that he's been caught. I'd imagine. I mean, obviously him being caught is not in her book, but I saw some people... Connected to her book, like Patton Oswalt, who was her husband, that famous comedian, and the people who helped finish her book, the investigators. I think I saw some one of them say something like they they're considering putting out a revised version of her book with like the new information, but I don't know if that will actually. I don't happen. think there's really much. Point. That doesn't need to be now. They, those investigators that are still here could write themselves something if yeah. they wanted to. The whole crux of yeah. this particular book is that she let herself get obsessed with this. Yeah. And then she died without finding out the real yeah. answers. Yeah. If you take that away from it, you're stripping the book of what makes it actually very intriguing. Talking about like why we necessarily like might be interested in this stuff, Michelle because obviously she talks about herself and her life in the book. She says that for her it all started when someone in her neighbourhood was murdered when she was 14 and they never found him, like, who did it. And she, like, went to the place where this woman was killed and, like, saw, like, the... You know, because it hadn't been cleaned up yet. She saw, like, bits of evidence and, like... And she says that she thinks from then she was, like, obsessed. She had, like, a true crime blog. And this was just, I guess, one of the cases that she was obsessed with. Um, I can see how that would be a formative experience for someone who would go on to do this for a living. Do you think... Something I wonder about is... Is part of the allure of reading these true crime books, especially about cases that haven't been solved, 
where the perpetrator hasn't actually been caught yet. Do you think even if people won't admit it to themselves explicitly, because it sounds kind of silly, do you think part of it is this underlying belief or suspicion that maybe you could be the one who puts all the pieces together and finally unravels the enigma? Maybe you could see something that no one else saw. For some people, I guess. I mean, maybe... I I don't know. For We'll go to the reader's part in in a minute. But, like, for her, in the book, there's a section where she calls it the one, where she basically is like, you start to kind of line things... For a start, she was a journalist, so she had that kind of, like, investigator bone, you know? And she was obviously passionate about, like, true crime. She talks about how there comes a point where you start to try to make pieces fit together. And she's like, there was this time when we convinced it was this person because nine out of ten things lined up, you know? And I'm sure for her that a part of this was, like, I'm making all these relationships with all these, like, law enforcement people and, you know, and I'm getting access to all this evidence. Like, she got all 36 boxes of evidence and digitised it. She was the one who did that. So while, you know, police say that she, nothing from her book gave them any new information, she digitised the evidence so it was searchable easily. Um... So, yeah, so I'm sure maybe for her, a part of it was, like, it could be solved and I could, I could be help the one it. to do it. Not necessarily so she could get credit. Like, she says, like, like, I don't care about, like, my name being anything. She just wants it to be solved. But I'm sure there is that element of, like, if I have the kind of whatever that she had or the, that investigativeness... <laughs> and all those relationships i'm sure there's got to be a part of you that's like we could do this yeah. we could really do this especially when she's like there's a section where she's like i found some cufflinks at a secondhand store and they look exactly like the cufflinks that was taken and she bought them and had them like specially shipped so she could compare to see if they were the real that's obviously you know part of part of that whole i'm actually trying to solve it rather than me I'm just, I'm not trying to solve it. I'm just covering it. I'm just reading it and like. I hate to give you an anticlimactic spoiler readers, but those cufflinks don't end up being the ones she suspected them to be. I really thought they were going to be, but they were not. Also, I feel like we should point out, although I guess this is like a minor spoiler for the book, if you want to read it completely without any knowledge of how it goes. But the amazing thing about it, especially with the guy actually being caught so soon after it was published, is that it ends with this really poignant, very evocative, kind of a direct letter to the Golden State Killer himself, saying, you are going to be caught soon. It's now you who has to be afraid. And that's just... It's so amazing that this was published and then yeah. it was to reach its conclusion. I was I was considering reading it on this podcast because it's like so powerful, but I can't read it without crying. <laughs> <laughs> I choke up 
and I can't get the words out. So just if you want to read it, the letter's out there. Actually, Patton Oswalt tweeted about it. He also read part of the letter out on Seth Meyers. So if you want to know about it, you look it up because it's out there. We don't want to be hounded by copyright lawyers. (laughs) But yeah, yeah. The title of the book as well, I'll Be Gone in the Dark. I remember you asked me, where does the title come from? And I didn't know. And when I was reading the book, I guess he says to like one of his victims, like, you'll be dead and I'll be gone in the dark or something. And when I read it, it was just like chilling, fucking chilling. I was just like, oh my God, I can't take this anymore. It's terrifying. One last thing. Mm. So he committed all these crimes before the advent of real DNA testing. Yeah, DNA, I think, had been used in other places, but California was particularly slow in being able to do it. And because of that, he was careless about leaving DNA behind. I guess, yeah, because it wasn't a thing. It wasn't like a known thing that, like, yeah, they can get my blood and... He didn't know. It's me. But he was a police officer. Right. So he's got to have known that it was starting to become a thing. My point is, now that we have a much different society than the 1970s, now that we have DNA testing... And we have CCTV cameras all over the place. And we have people recording everything on their phones and so on and so forth. Do you think it's even possible to commit a crime spree like the Golden State Killer did or like any of these classic serial killers did anymore? Is it possible to make all the mistakes that they did, which today would surely get you caught in an instant? Because there's really no margin for error anymore. They got away with so much because there was only limited tools to investigate and to try and track them down. But I feel like now you couldn't really do it, A, so brazenly, B, for such a sustained period of time, and C, especially when you see the map, like what you were talking about earlier, and you see how it's all in the same area. Yeah. I feel like you couldn't do that anymore. There's a really interesting section of the book, of Michelle's book, where geo like profilers um, talk about the way a, uh, this type of criminal picks the areas he wants to commit crimes in. And then they create something they call a buffer zone where he doesn't commit crimes right next to where he lives basically that makes sense and so they have all these like maps in the book of like where they think he might be from where they think he works etc it's all really creepy when you think about it (laughs) but um yeah i don't think you could commit all the same crimes he committed now the way he did because i think you'd be caught not only because there is like cctv everywhere and because of the dna Because obviously there are ways not to leave DNA. But I think because some, I'm not going to say all people, but I think it's more likely that he would be seen and then reported. Because 
I think back then it's more like, you know, you didn't, you weren't scared of everyone. You were, you were friends with people. You, you gave people the benefit of the doubt before thinking they were doing something bad. Whereas now, a lot of people operate oppositely. They think automatically bad guy, wary of you, prove yourself to me. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. so. <clears throat> Do you hear those fantastical tales? of people saying back in the good old days in the 60s we had this idyllic yeah. paradise where you could just leave your doors unlocked in the evening yeah. well, that's the thing sometimes what the doors were unlocked the windows were left open sometimes um and even when people saw people doing obviously dodgy stuff they didn't always report it i mean coming back to michelle's book always she tells a story she talks about, there's a section where she talks about if people were seeing all this weird stuff, like people in, a man in the backyard looking in the window and et cetera, et cetera, why didn't they report it, especially in a time when everyone was on high alert? And then she tells a story about how she is in the house on her own one day and someone knocks on the door and she says for some reason she didn't answer it because she wasn't expecting anyone or something. And then she goes to the window and sees a kid walking away. Um, then she leaves the house because she has to go out and she sees another kid dressed the same, the same age, but not the same kid, walking away like by, near her house. And she, she says... Is this one of those deja vu moments from The Matrix? <laughs> yeah. I saw a cat. And then I saw another cat. Yeah. Was it the exact same cat? <gasps> and then they all look at I'm not sure. Um, yeah, she says that she even began to dial 911 because she thought it was, like, suspicious. I think it was also, like, the middle of the day and they were kids. Not, like, children. Because <laughs> kids aren't allowed in but the middle like of the teens. day. There's a curfew. Yeah, but, like, teens or, like, late teens or whatever. But she says she stopped for fear of, like... It not being anything and, like, looking judgmental or whatever. But then it turned out the next day that her neighbour got burgled and that it was them. Right. And that that's a thing, that they knock on the door to see if you're in. Yeah. And if you're not in, then. So she was basically illustrating that people are hesitant if it's not an out-and-out emergency or crime to, like call police or whatever but i do think that it might be generational or and also like regional or whatever in terms of like who will and will not call the police like i think in most cases we would just call the police even if it wasn't anything and i think we've illustrated that in the past but there are some people who just won't ever choose to get involved unless yeah. something's happening right in front of their face or unless it's to them you know yeah. So I think <clears throat> if they tried to commit crimes like that now, if they didn't get caught by CCTV or like a paper trail or DNA, that it would be other people. They'd get seen. There'd be proper sketches of how the person exactly looks, you know? How much weight do you give to... So say this is happening in the 60s and 70s. 70s and 80s. Right. I'm just saying like this type of oh, serial okay. killer... I feel like that was the the age that yeah. it kind of 
the the locus was centered on back then there's no internet obviously people don't really have a way there's not so say like a message board people who don't know each other already can just congregate there meet like-minded people and talk about a specific thing there's not really an equivalent of that in the pre-internet age if you think about it there's just like i guess there's places you can go neighborhood watch and then there's like community like like town hall meetings and stuff and that's basically the equivalent you could write into a newspaper i suppose yeah but my point is so back then people who were following this case and were on their own trying to piece things together Mm. and try to make headway into figuring out who this guy was they were siloed in their own little investigative bubble with no way to communicate and collaborate with other people doing the same thing. Mm. And then as soon as the internet springs up, they can all go to the same place, give each other little fragments of progress that the others may not have had, put it all together as a cohesive whole, and then you're starting to make some real progress into figuring stuff out. And so, yeah, my point is how much weight do you think that holds now the fact that if something like this were to happen now if it were to spring up and to begin there would instantly be a subreddit dedicated to people amateur sleuths figuring out all this stuff putting all the evidence together on a wiki like introducing newcomers to the rules of of how we go about investigating this it's crazy as well how much stuff you can find out just by having the internet like as soon as we knew the person's name which was like the middle of the night or whatever before the press conference we knew the name so before they'd actually given us who it was people on reddit and the pro boards or whatever which is where like another big place where they talk about it They had already found, like, pictures of him when he was a kid, pictures of him in his police uniform, pictures of him in the Navy, like, he that he had an ex called Bonnie, that he had three kids, just by searching certain things. Other things as well is that you can search, like, before they knew we knew his name, they searched, like, the, the, the jail that they knew he was at, they searched... You can see the bookings. You can see who's been booked in. And so they saw that a 72-year-old man was booked in. and yeah. they, So they knew. Like, it's crazy what you can find out yeah, just when you know where to look. Access to information is probably a key difference as well. The fact that back then, if you wanted to try and look at the people who lived in a certain area, you had to go to a, a library yeah. and find some dusty tome that gives you a census for a particular year, whereas yeah. now you can just go onto some database and find it in an instant. That's probably another reason why you couldn't get away with that now. The, obviously, the the big problem with this is when you do have these anonymous online communities taking it upon themselves deputizing themselves as de facto investigators on this case they do sometimes come up with the wrong person yeah they do i don't know if you remember but as the boston bombing situation was unfolding i i forget exactly what it was but there was a a group on reddit who who 
pointed the finger mm. at some guy and then it turned out to not be him. Yeah. And so he ended up getting death threats and... I remember. The whole thing. And yeah. that in itself is terrible and can lead to a lot of dangerous situations emerging. Yeah. I think we've talked ourselves out yeah. about this. I'm like exhausted now. <laughs> Do you... I was going to ask you the question, but more importantly, I hope that the people who were victimized by this guy do get a sense of closure yeah. from him, hopefully being convicted. Yeah. But do you so. do you feel now like you can pull it to bed inside your head? Yeah, I definitely have for like the most part, like 85% of all that stuff that you feel when you're like finding out about it and researching it and knee stuff. deep yeah that mock. yeah that kind of need to know absolutely every single thing has gone away um and since he like i haven't been looking at things every day since he was arrested i will look every few days but i'm sure there are people on there that are looking constantly throughout the day to see if there's anything more <laughs> i love this heroic restraint of i only check three no, or four no. times a week that's not how i meant it what i meant is that i know that it's dying down in one sense inside me like like i said like it's like 85 percent of me that has like put it to bed but then the other 15 percent is like what's to come as right. in more information coming out about him and you know whether he will end up giving any information or whether they will just have to find it all out by themselves. And then, because obviously at first he was only charged with two murders because he committed crimes in all different counties. I guess it's not as simple as like, we just give him all these charges. Each county has got to like come together to yeah. like do it. So now that like he's been charged with nearly all the murders, it's like, it's really moving along and, yeah, I think once all the information possible, I guess, has come out, it'll be done with because, I mean, what's left then? His conviction? But, but I guess I feel like I'll just hear about that. Yeah. That's going to happen whenever and I'll just hear about it. Whereas, like, the other stuff would be the stuff that I, like, continue to go on, like, Reddit and stuff and find out. You hungrily devour. Yeah. Talking of... Nothing at all, because there's no way to make a good segue. Let's wrap this bad boy up. And then wrap up some chicken and put it inside me. Hopefully the orifice <laughs> of which you were speaking was your mouth. What is actually wrong with you? The doctors say there's no name for it. There's, I can't even believe you, <laughs> honestly. I hear that a lot from women, <laughs> but usually in a much more enthusiastic tone. Okay, I'm cutting you off. I'm cutting you off. <laughs> okay, so thanks for listening to our dour, morbid, <laughs> macabre podcast. Yeah. We hope you enjoyed it. Hope you like it. it. Yeah. <laughs> I like how you throw that one last attempt. That's at all I had in me, man. Chirpiness out there. Please share it with anyone else you think might like to be bummed out for three and a half hours. Well. New episodes are Once released <laughs> yeah. over the summer, even though we do have the air conditioning, which makes our lives a lot easier. It's probably not the best idea for us to record 
while the air conditioner is on because it kind of sounds like a bunch of pots and pans whirling about in a uh, vortex. It's very loud. Yeah, it's more difficult for us to record over the summer because... But we will still be yeah. recording just once a month. <laughs> yeah. When it gets, like, too hot to live, it's definitely too hot to sit for four hours and record a podcast. Yeah. So we have to kind of time it, which is not always yeah. easy. But, yeah, we're aiming for once a month right now, once every four weeks. You can find the podcast on iTunes and basically everywhere else that podcasts are delivered to you on a digital silver platter because you're such a bougie. What is wrong? You said bougie like four times. It's one of those words that I learned recently and I'm trying to get as much use out of it I feel like you don't actually know what it means. Like You're using it in the wrong context sometimes. I don't appreciate this inquisition. <laughs> Spanish or otherwise. It's not an inquisition, it's an accusation. <laughs> That's even worse. No. J accuse. Or you can go to artatpodcast.com, which is A-R-T-A-T podcast.com. Aren't they already listening to the podcast? Why do they need to go and find the podcast? Because we're trying to bury the URL deep in their subconscious. Uh, okay. So that when they're on their deathbed... They may not remember their children's names anymore, but they'll remember artatpodcast.com. Okay. That's enough out of you. <laughs> and that redirects to our SoundCloud page currently. You can send any feedback or comments to artatpodcast at gmail.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, which would be of great benefit to yours truly. We would like it. We'd we like, would it, like very it a lot. Much. And we'd like you a lot. Maybe. I feel like there needs to be like a really, you know, when they say the terms and conditions really quickly yeah. at the end of a radio yeah. message. Just <laughs> saying we really like you doesn't imply any kind of sexual favor <laughs> being exchanged. Terms and conditions apply. <laughs> and we're RTAP Podcast on various social media echo chambers. So... Come immure yourself in our walls of repetition. You're making the weirdest face right now. I did not know what you were going to say. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying half of the, the time. The walls of my vagina. I don't want anyone <laughs> burying themselves in the walls of your vagina. <laughs> unless it's a gynecologist and they're performing their doctor. Okay, duty. stop now. No one wants this. Gynecologist ecological work yeah some people want it and some people need it okay <laughs> and that's more important let's talk about universal health care <laughs>
did not know what you were going to say then. <laughs> You've got the legs of an Olympic sprinter. I've got little booby legs. You've got muscular, powerful thighs. You, you've run too far. That's what they say to the 100 meters runners oh, when they God. just do a victory lap. I don't like sport, okay? That's fine. <laughs> I'm not trying to force it on you. It sounds like you are. Never. Yes. Never. Okay, see you next episode.